Good morning and a super duper happy day to each and every one of you out there listening in podcast land. Today, before we start the show, I am reminding myself that having competitive hunger is different than having greed. Focus on your journey in life and empower others to enjoy the same inspiration that's available in life. Stay focused on not allowing greed to spoil your hunger for life. Now let's get this day started. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now let's play hard. Welcome to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. We've got an audience today as well. Yeah, we've got a studio audience. Studio audience here in the Industrial Forest Studios. We had to put on pants. Overalls. Yeah. <laughs> overalls here at the Industrial Forest. It's more of a Forest. onesie. FR overalls. <laughs> That's right. Fire resistant. Not North Face. Not Bulwark. No, not Bulwark. Not here. Uh, all right, so what do we got? That is uh, Sterling. My name is Jason Spees. Welcome to the Play Hard, Work Hard Morning Show. And boy, we got all kinds of stuff happening. We're going to be heading down to the Oklahoma Sooners Nebraska tailgate game. Woohoo! Game for a tailgating podcast party. It's a <laughs> you're going to see the game, or you're just going for the podcast tailgate both. party. Nice, both. So we're going to be down there ahead of time Oklahoma, with Matt Oklahoma, Hill Oklahoma. with uh, Talking Energy Show. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if Ken Lavin's going to be there or not, because he wasn't part of the uh, phone calls where we confirmed all the details. But all right, you ready for this? Yeah. Was this the same group you were down there with just a month or two ago? Yeah, we did the cross-promotional yeah. podcast yeah, nice. with the Talk and Energy Show. They also do Fossil Fuel Fridays. Nice. Uh, Ken Lavin does Jump Into Mondays. Okay. And I think they might even have one more as well, because it's they're part of the Talk Oklahoma, Talk Texas that whole thing. But what we're going to be doing, this is the oil field tailgate. Now, that's Matt Hill's kind of his little side, get the people together before Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. He's got like 30 sponsors, a part of that deal, you know, that, that party for, before the party. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got it here in North Dakota State. Oh, yeah. And where do you think we got the idea from? <laughs> we got the idea from Texas, Oklahoma, sure. Nebraska, the yeah. people who know how to tailgate, right? right. Yeah, they yeah. know how to do college ball, right? So we got the Industrial Forest, the Crude Life, Oil Field Tailgate, Talking Energy Show, Fossil Fuel Fridays. We're going to be doing a pigskin petroleum-powered podcast party. <laughs> Oklahoma versus Nebraska. You ready for this? Yeah. It's the game of the week on Fox. Woo! Oh, yeah. And we're already pulling out the guests. <laughs> We're going to be bringing out surprise guests leading up to the Pigskin Petroleum Powered Podcast Party. Wow, that's a lot of pee. I know. I was trying to get one more in there, too. <laughs> Please. That's a, there will it's be the a, pretty. There will be a lot of pee. Yeah, yeah. The Sounds morning. Like it. it will It flow. starts at 8 a.m. <laughs> We might even have to break out the kegs and eggs. The kegs. Oh, that sounds yummy. The kegs and eggs. I don't know if we can do that because there's a lot of children at these types of events. We just have to make sure they get the right stuff. Family friendly, but at the same time, kegs and eggs rhymes. Mm Mm-hmm. Sounds like a 
breakfast bar. And I want to go. And when you do something at 8 a.m. and we're going to start streaming live, we're going to stream live as... You'll be streaking live. In our head where it's at right now. Right, yeah. Because everything is perfect right now in our head. We can only go down from here. <laughs> we can only go backwards. I'm sure nothing will go wrong, man. So I, should I mention our first guest that we've already got? Yeah. Cookie Monster. Okay, well, that's fine because we've got, we've got a few feelers out as well. A couple feelers Be out as well. Might right? we see a, a Johnny Green sighting? Oh, I'm sure Johnny Green will no. be there. He's he's just he he comes along for the ride now. <laughs> but all right, so we're gonna be there. And by the way, the the game not only is I'm I'm pulling up uh, something here, so I apologize. If if you hear me tiptoeing and tap dancing, that's because I'm trying to find the thing I'm about to talk about here. Yeah, we don't believe in prep work. No, not at all. So it's the 50-year anniversary of the game of the century when uh, the Cornhuskers defeated the Sooners. I think it was 35 to 31. Okay. And so there's going to be all kinds of walking down memory lane on uh, the the national media outlets. Mm -hmm. So we'll be doing a little bit of that as well uh, by bringing in some special guests to talk about it. Hopefully somebody who's either at the game or played in the game or something like that. Well, I'll watch the broadcast, see if you get on Fox. And, well, and then we've we've got some feelers out to Fox because okay. you know we do know Feel some people in Fox, mm-hmm. and so we're going to see if maybe they you know we can do a simulcast if they can give us a nod, right? Just you know, give us a rejection email we can brag about. <laughs> yeah, something we can show off. <laughs> something we know? can at least show, right? They know who we are, and they still don't want us. <laughs> it's like when you're out with that really attractive girl. Can I just get a selfie quick to yeah, prove and yeah. brag to my friend? Before this goes downhill fast. All right, so we've already got confirmed. Former 2016 Oklahoma football tight end number 76 himself, Sam Grant. All right. He will not be there. He's going to be, he'll be joining us via the video because mm-hmm. he's working in the Permian in Midland right now for an oil and gas company. <laughs> Leave it to us to go out and find a former Sooner that now works in oil and gas. So he's, he's our first guest that we're announcing. That's awesome. As part of the Pigskin Petroleum Powered Podcast Party. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of Sooner alums in the oil and gas industry, actually. Oh, I'm sure there is. Can yeah. we find Brian Bosworth? Remember when he got paid <laughs> to suntan? Yeah. He, he would sit on his, uh, what is was still it, his Trans Am. Is he still alive? He had the mullet, I remember. He had the mullet had with the, the lightning speed. bolts yep. shaved in the side, and yep. I did that to my hair as well. Oh, that was an unfortunate time for all of us. And I do believe I even had that mullet. <laughs> High speed, low drag. Business in the front, party in the back. Oh, I did that rat tail one year, too. That, oh, was, yeah. uh, that was a sad... Gotta have the rat tail, man. I'm not sure which year was sadder. More sad, whichever is the correct <laughs> I think way more sad it. would be the correct way, yeah. The year that I wore the rat tail at fifth grade, mm-hmm. or the year in my 20s when I thought Axe body spray worked. <laughs> I'm not sure which was a more depressing... Right. Let's go right to depressing. Yeah, yeah. Let's, adva- let's advance from sad to depressing. Hey, Axe, they got a whole generation of men to essentially put on perfume. We go to ludicrous speed. <laughs> All right, let's transition to the next event we're going to. Sam oh, Grant. There's that the word way, again. Former Oklahoma Sooner, tight end number 76. 
Uh, he's going to join the program leading up to our podcast party that we're going to be doing. Let's see. What else do we have coming up here? What's the other event I mentioned? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Uh, you're gonna My be- pillow. My pillow. So we got our code. Our code is Otis. O-T-I-S. So, folks, if you go out there and you plug in under the promo code at MyPillow.com, plug in the promo code for Otis. That is my son's name. That is my son's name. So, I bet he loves that that's out there. So that's why we call it Otis, by the way, because, you, you know, I've, I've won some national awards. Mm-hmm. In fact, Don, who's Don, who's part of the peanut gallery yeah, today, our, our in-studio audience. Don is one of the gentlemen who I've won national awards in the newspaper industry with. Remember, Don, how many did we win? We won two national and two regional uh, for the Newspaper Association Awards, right? right? Yeah, so newspaper awards, we got magazine awards, mm-hmm. all right, and we got radio awards under my belt, right? All right, so I've won a plethora of national and regional awards for my work, you know? Plethora. You like that? That's plethora? a great word. I've thought about watching The uh, Princess Bride over the weekend, but did not. <laughs> so you would think that my son would be impressed with that. Mm-hmm. Nope, no big deal, right? 350,000 social media followers with all the network we have, no big deal. Big yeah. deal. Yeah, what have you done for me lately, Dad? Yeah, who did he meet? Harold Ham. he got to interview Harold Ham. Uh, Matt Rose, he mm-hmm. got to meet Matt Rose, you know, he's got to meet all these big, important, Linda McMahon, you know, the... Well, how old is he then, like nine? Eight, nine, Eight, nine ten, yeah. eleven, so does he twelve. Even, does he even really remember? None of that stuff registers None of it at sticks all. anymore. But Kids now, these days, man. Ladies and gentlemen, my son is finally proud of his old man in the media. (laughs) After growing up, watching his old man win national awards and being disappointed, Mike Lindell of MyPillow gives old Jason Spies a product code. And now my son thinks I'm cool shit. Now you finally (laughs) arrived. He's texting his friends. My dad's got a product code. So I said, hey, listen, uh, we'll take energy as our first choice. And they thought that was taken already with someone else, right? Okay, and I That's thought... That's kind of a gimme right there. Right, yep. right. And so uh, we, we, we talked about crude. Mm-hmm. I said, ah, spelling issues. I, I don't... I want this to be easy. Yep. I said, honestly, my first choice would be Otis. And they stopped and they said, why? And I said, I told them the story of my son. They're like, absolutely, let's do that. So the product, It's memorable. The product code is Otis. And uh, if you want to go and plug in Otis... You can get the dog bed as low as nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine, are you out of your mind? Well, that's exactly <laughs> what it's gonna cost you. And by the way, this is a true story. Ever since I, I got that dog bed out, that is the dog bed of choice that she likes. She doesn't even use that two hundred and fifty dollar Wayfair <laughs> beanbag anymore that sits up that, you know, is made for the princess and the pea. Yeah. It's yeah. just unbelievable. So uh, I do uh, right away recommend the dog bed uh, out of the gate here. So it's just um, like kids, right? You bring them home a toy, and they're more interested in the box. Th- not not this. She was really into the dog bed out of the gate. So I mean, I, and I'm not saying that because I'm now you know plugging the product. No, you like to have a comfy dog. I, I want to make sure that Frackleberry Hound yeah. is is you no know more laying on the floor for you, huh? Well, all that all those. Sleepless nights, sleeping out at the reclamation site as a stray, wondering if a wild hyena or a dingo. Chupacabra. 
Oh, wait, North America. Coyote? Coyote, yeah. There I think go. up here we'd be coyote or Coyotes, wolf. okay. Yeah. People are, where did he find this dog? <laughs> yeah. It's like on the side of the road, over Mexico. I don't know. So anyway, this is great stuff because we got MyPillow.com. And the, and the product code, again, is Otis. But here's, the, here's what you can get. For example, here's the deals that they're giving. Because it's all new. Mm-hmm. And because of American energy workers. Because, you know, Mike Lindell is pretty much into the America thing. Yeah, I've noticed. And that's what we're going to get to. I know that you've got the news story <laughs> up. So we'll get to that in just a second here. A $70 queen-size premium my pillow, $69.98, right? is only twenty nine ninety eight. That's like $40 off. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's a good deal. That's more than 50% off. So your $40 savings by putting in the Otis promo code. Kings are $5 more. So we're going to give you all kinds of savings like that coming. But just go punch it in, MyPillow.com. Click on Otis. So yep. Make your head uh, happy. What, what is our new sponsor in the news for here? Oh, uh, well, let's see here. Okay, so... Um, Mr. Liddell, my, my pillow CEO, Mike Lindell, uh, predicts date Trump's lies will be proven true. Now, this is, of course, from the HuffPost. So your headline right out of the gates, a little bit slanted. <laughs> um, let's see. So we got uh, the my pillow huh? CEO turned conspiracy theorist. Oh, well, saying, I'm sorry. Is it, did he get a title? What's the did? title? Conspiracy theorist. Oh, he's up there with Jones now. Alex yep, Jones. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Is saying that the 13th of August, which lands on a Friday. You notice is, that, though, that, that title? Yeah. That, he, that groups him. Sure. You see, that groups him. Yeah. That's a media trick. Sure. Go on. Conspiracy. Th- well, geez, everybody nowadays seems to be a conspiracy theorist well, or inf- expert, influencer, right? Influencer, you know, whatever. I mean, and I started noticing this when they started throwing out the word supermodel back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Everybody was a supermodel. Well, when I was in high school, back in my day... When all the hills were uphill both ways? Yeah. So when we had to Gravity walk... Gravity was heavier. Back when we had to drive to school? Yep. On rocks. With gasoline-powered cars? <laughs> um, that, that, that was the big thing. It was, it was like Cindy Crawford and uh, um, the, the Kathy Ireland. Mm-hmm. And there might have been you know a couple others. Banks. What's her name? Tyra Banks. Clum, but Heidi Klum. You know what they did is... But they, they were the supermodels. Yeah, they slapped super, and all of a sudden, the asking cost for those went up oh. the roof. It changed the pay scale completely. Just one word. Oh, that's so funny. Super. And you're right. That's yeah. what it was. I mean, it was excellent marketing. I wonder, it, it's I, like putting Esquire at the end of your business I've never card. really understood. Does that mean you're like... Um, you're a lawyer. You're a lawyer. Oh, Esquire. Yeah, Bill S. Preston Esquire. I had no idea. The guy from Bill and Ted's, he yeah. was a lawyer. He was... A- <laughs> he looked kind of like one, yeah. Well, in the future he was, and then he went back in time to take the bar. To rock. To rock, yes, to rock. What's Mike Lindell rocking, by the way? So Mike Lindell is convinced that on August 13th, I'm not sure why it's the 13th, but he's quoted as saying, by the morning of August 13th, it'll be the talk of the world. He says, quote, hurry up, let's get this election pulled down, let's right the right. I'm not sure, I think you meant to say let's right the wrong. Let's get these communists out. Lindell didn't want to speculate about what would happen to the people supposedly responsible for Did he say, let's write the right? He said, write the right. Yeah. Well, that might be uh, a right-left political. Let's write the right. That might be a... I would have thought, let's write the wrong. But right, Yeah, right. but let's write the right. Right, he says, right. Right, right. Correct. Right. <laughs> he goes on to say, quote, right now, the biggest concern is getting this right. election pulled down. Adding falsely, Donald Trump won. I mean, it's pretty simple. So here's a couple of things I just want to say. 
Number one, uh, before my pillow became a sponsor here, we did have the talk about the political mm-hmm. thing because we're a non-political show. We have politicians on, but we don't get political. We try not to. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we let people speak because, mm-hmm. quite honestly, a politician is an expert in what they're talking about. Okay? Yeah, and that, we're interested that, in conversation. That's what they're paid to do. They're paid to to orate the information. Mm-hmm. Now they're also elected to be partisan. But our job is to just kind of either advance the conversation or hold them accountable for the words. Yeah, we say. don't want sports okay? shouting. But we don't want to do gotcha and yeah. we don't want to do some of these other things. So because of the cancel culture, we don't get into the hold your feet to the fire accountable things, although we do at times. Mm-hmm. We do. So we did have that talk with the ad agency involved with MyPillow.com about some of the political stuff. And quite honestly, I said, I don't care. I said he can do whatever he wants. My understanding is the product's pretty good. Yeah, it's a pretty high quality product, and also, it's it it, it reduces the amount of purchasing for new pillows. So therefore, it helps the environment. And I started going down that whole path. Yeah. That that what is the crude life's mission, and all the way down to even I would prefer to have American made products be helping out endorsing that sort of thing but Absolutely. at the same time i understand we're in a global economy yeah. and you know i i go to the i go to an it's oil our preference and, though well, i go to an oil and gas conference and everybody's talking about made in america and american independence and oil and they're giving away products that have the sticker made in china made still in china. on it yeah so i mean it's or it's we're equipment made in a, germany we're or trying Japan to have a little or, bit more intention than that although yeah. at the same time we're saying listen we're living in the realm of reality here and we're not going to bat 100 percent all the time yeah so, uh, which in for, itself is kind of an, uh, makes us sort of an exception nowadays. Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't think he's done anything political that has made me say, first of all, he's a conspiracy theorist. Secondly, cause I, a few of my neighbors, I hear him talking about this too. Yeah. I hear him talking about there's, there, is this the QAnon group that, that thinks that, um, the uh, uh, th- there's something in the Constitution that says that. Well, you know that's that's the one thing about this that just or, or is the QAnon drops. people the ones that are drinking children? No, I no no no. They're after the people that are drinking children. I think yeah. With this, there is no. Well, they're me- after the people <laughs> drinking children. With this, there's no mechanism. There's the nothing pe- at the pizza bar. There's nothing in place. There's no Supreme Court. There's no mechanism in our democracy that would reinstate a former president, especially since you actually have a uh, you have a secession, right? You have a uh, you've got a vice president, and beyond the vice president, you have the Speaker of the House. Right? So is that the new argument? Beyond now? that, you've got cabinet members that are in line, right? So unless if you were to get rid of Biden and Kamala Harris by some crazy whatever, you'd be stuck with how President did, Pelosi. How did you pronounce her name? Kamala Harris. Is that how you pronounce it? It's how I hear it pronounced. They don't say Kamala? I hear Kamala, Kamala. Okay. No, I'm just curious. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. That's the first time I've really kind of heard that. So. Really? Well, I don't watch the news. I don't right. have a TV. Yeah. I don't, none of this stuff is just, I read it. and You hear it pronounced again, a couple different ways. Most of my biology comes from Gorilla Monsoon from the <laughs> WWE, okay? And there's a wrestler named Kamala, and that's, I just assume that's what it was. Your name is Jason, which I'm assuming is a biblical name. And it, no, it's it's, no? it's a Greek name. It's it's a, it means great hero, Jason and Argonauts. Uh, the Argonauts, yes. right. Yeah, okay. Yes. Well, Sterling, it means again, silver and pure. Can, can I tell so, you what it means again? Great 
hero. Yeah. He's standing on top of a chair, shirtless, while he says that. So, hey, man, when the sun, when, <laughs> when, when, you, the, when the clock is only right, a broken clock is right twice a day, we got to be excited the minute we're right. Because, well, I was going to say a sun shines on a dog's ass once a day or whatever. I forgot that. I've never heard that saying, but now I want to work it into there, our daily. There is some saying like that, but my favorite is, that, hey, a broken clock is right twice a day, too, when somebody gets something right, and then you call them by the wrong name and walk away <laughs> well we don't want to get too chummy right yeah uh no i so i i actually uh i i asked them for a tour of the plant mm-hmm. um so we can go down and see willy wonka and i the, think that would be a trip well you know I, are, I think you would enjoy it it's still a minnesota-based business it's a minnesota-based business yep. but again he's he's doing what he can to try to preserve an american economy so that first of all that's a local business in my mind uh, but but this whole Trump thing, what my bigger question is, I, I don't care about the QAnon stuff. I don't, you know, listen, c- conspiracy theories, what is there? There's JFK, there's 9-11, there's moon landing, there's UFOs, there's Bigfoot, mm-hmm. there's Loch Ness. There's f- We're just scratching the surface. Those are the big ones. I, I right? do got to start starting to get the realm of judgment out, which I don't try to bring out very much. What, on Loch Ness? No, I don't care about the Loch Ness. That's just fun. You bagging on Bigfoot? No, but Bigfoot's fun, too, because I, I, I uh, they, they got a show on A&E, so they're cool. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Is, uh, no, is when we start getting into the lizard people and we start getting into the flat earth. Yeah. That's where I just got to start looking at them a little bit different. Okay, the lizard people... I don't know how to look at them yet. Are you an ultra genius or well, see, are, but or should you be locked up? With, okay? Well, see, yeah, you're creative, clearly. It's a, right. Like, you're, are you so creative you're a genius or are you yeah. so creative that you, you need to be locked you up? You know, sometimes both. The flat earthers, though, that one, I just, I, I, but, I'm just, I throw my hands up and say, what? Most of the time, though, mo- yeah, right. I mean, you're like, okay, well, you know, and especially when their their logic or their comeback is, well, yeah, look, man, it looks flat. I know that's like, I mean. all right, but see, flat earthers and and lizard people, they can still operate machinery. They can still have a job. They can still carry on a, a conversation. A car, they can yeah. live within our sort of norm okay, of society. That, but there's a difference when you're talking about overthrowing the government. But here's the thing: then they're going to different places talking about the flat Earth. So right, spreading the gospel. They're, they're, they're spreading the virus. What's you know, well? It says a lot, man, <laughs> that the flat Earth society has seen an increase in the last decade in the number of people that are wanting to be proponents I, of the flat Earth I'll, society. I'll, I'll give you a gut check. It's moment. not going down like it should. It's going here's a up. gut check moment. I had two gut check moments. I had. <clears throat> okay, the first one. Uh, do you remember when the typhoon came, uh, the tsunami came, and it was going to hit Hawaii like ten years ago? Gosh, there's been a lot of them. But this was like all over. It was for like a week. It was mm-hmm. on the news. It was on the news. Japan. Japan, too. Yeah, they do this. Where, right. And so, well, you know, we found. This is when I was on KFGO, the local station. Mm-hmm. Well, we found a guy that had a condo in Hawaii, and he was there. And he was on like the 37th floor, this and that. So we were interviewing him Nice live. view. Yeah. Well, CNN, Fox, they all had... All the cameras on the ocean. Yeah. The right? reporter standing resolutely right. in the shallow just, water. Just waiting yeah. for. And yeah. so in my mind, I'm like, great. All the visuals that anybody can go to on TV, everywhere, it's just visuals of water, right? Reporters. So if they got the sound down and the radio on, 
we've got a guy there live on his balcony giving us what's going on. Yeah, it looks fine, Jason. Well, after like 10 <laughs> minutes of that, after 10 minutes of just tip tiptoeing and tap dancing yeah. and stretching out, so how's the weather? Yeah. Well, well, never mind. That's why we're on the call, right? Right, right. Just putting your foot in your mouth a few times. I went, um, so I'm having a little bit of a morality check here where, so people might die just live on the radio here, huh? <laughs> like it started sinking into me. Like, right. what am I doing? What is happening here? What, what I'm point? so caught up in trying to get the story. Yeah, is this news Somebody or is this? Somebody might actually die because this is an actual emergency, right? Yeah. So that's that that's leading into the next one. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the next one. What were the heck were we just talking about again? <laughs> well, we're talking about reality, right? And we're talking about the flat earthers, flat the lizard earthers. people, Thank the you. conspiracy theorists. See, I got so far into reality, I, I forgot about the flat earther. We got a hand up in the peanut th- gallery. There was a guy a year ago. So about a year ago, two years ago, there was a story about a gentleman with a steam-powered rocket. Rocket man. To prove that the Earth was flat. Remember this guy? Yeah, I do. He came crashing back down to Earth. So several times he he tried and failed. He tried and he failed. And there was just one reporter that would go. And I was so jealous of this local reporter in like Modesto, California. Right. On the Rocket Man beat. It was some, right, right, because <laughs> yeah. that's the only person yeah, that would go to yeah, there. That was his gig. Well, CNN's not giving out a lot of money to go cover the crazy no. Rocket Man, Probably right? Probably not. And anybody else, well, how are you going to do it, right? So I was so jealous of this guy. And then I remember thinking, Hawaii. So if I'm the local reporter, I'm there filming this because I've got a camera, right? So I'm filming this guy. Well, at some point, it's going to dawn on me when the guy's about a mile in the air and he comes shooting down. I'm actually documenting his demise (laughs) right now. Like, this is how did this not register before I hit record? Well, obviously, the guy wasn't going to make it to the moon. You look at you look at TikTok, you look at YouTube and any of these video channels and, and it's a it's a black hole where you can start watching videos of people that tried to took a selfie and they fell off the building. You know, yeah. you, you can we can now outside of movies, we can see that real terror. What happened locally here in Bismarck, North Dakota, yeah. where the, the one kid uh, was out with his two buddies and he was kind of the the, you know, the, the lesser of the party guy. So he was able to get peer pressured easier. Right. Well, all these guys were drinking, and they said, go up on the bridge and jump off. So he went up on the bridge and jumped off, and the minute he hit the water, he snapped his neck and died. Well, his buddies filmed it, and they put it up on YouTube. And it wasn't until the kids' parents came and like begged the kids to take it down. So the kids didn't register it right away, how yeah. insensitive this was. They just wanted the hits. Mm-hmm. They wanted the 240,000 views. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, God, we could go on for hours about how just that is a real testament to where we are as a society. My daughter, your son, probably similar. You know, they would they would have emotions about it, but their first instinct would be to record it and get it out there, right? Oh, and that's why I'm saying it happens to me, too, yeah. as, the, as the reporter, for the person, uh, Mad Mike Hughes, who's up there in the steam-powered rocket, you know, and then doing the report at Hawaii that I'm so into getting the story and getting there first that it didn't even dawn on me. Like I said, that I could be documenting a live death here. 
And and I remember Faces of Death, the VHS was banned in ninety eight countries. Oh yeah, or whatever it was. Come home in a brown paper bag from the back of the. Yeah, it was it was back with the porn in the video stores. Did you have that in Saudi Arabia? No, but I did see it when I moved back to the states. Yeah, I had a I had a set of autopsy trading cards when I was a teenager. Somebody was selling those. They were pictures of autopsies. And where does one get autopsy trading cards? You read Maximum Rock and Roll, man. One of the. Cool zines from back in the day. You get on the back page of Fangoria magazine. No, I think I paid five bucks for it. Yeah. Wow. Well, I've never even heard of that. So check this out. Looking up Flat Earth, right? Flat Earth. (laughs) The Spanish football team. There was a Spanish football team formerly known as, I have no idea how to pronounce this, but they've been officially renamed to Flat Earth FC by its president. So there is now a football team, and that's soccer for you folks in the U.S., uh, that is committed to the idea of the flat earth. Well, that's why Greta Thunberg is the Flat Mars Society. Right? Right. Yeah, Flat Mars. Right? That's what she's doing, that's the Flat right. Mars Society, Mars. to make fun of the yeah, Flat Yeah, if you Earthers. looked up in the sky, it's a disc. It's flat, clearly, dude. Or as my daughter would say, bra. I don't need nobody to tell me If my clothes are clean I don't need nobody to tell me If that's real The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life Morning Show Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by Chewy Paws, all-natural elk, deer, moose, and caribou antler chews for dogs, USA-sourced premium quality and no preservatives. They love what we do in oil and gas, and all profits go to the dogs. That's Chewy Paws. Check out their website, ChewyPaws.com. That's ChewyPaws with a Z.com. The Crude Life Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard.
Welcome back to the Play Hard, Work Hard Morning Show. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling, and we've got some news to do here and a few other things lined up. Do we have anything to discuss before we get into news? Anything on the plate? I mean, like, do I want to share something from my dream journal? Anything like that? No. <laughs> no. Okay. Let's jump right in, man. All right. Let's go ahead. Because <laughs> we got some good stuff today. This is from the Williston Herald API. American Petroleum Institute releases climate reporting template for oil and gas industry. So, Wait a minute. Who, where is this from? Uh, Williston Herald. And when? Just like today? Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, July. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yesterday or today. Looks like it. Well, I know that the European newspapers were reporting this last week. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so it's nice that the American ones have finally picked up. <laughs> We're finally getting front That the center. American Petroleum Institute has launched a new template. Yeah. This wow. Is... Isn't that interesting how Europe newspapers had it out for a week before an American newspaper? But go on. Doesn't go surprise ahead. me. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm familiar with this. Just ahead of the heat wave that many blamed on climate change, the American Petroleum Institute had unveiled a climate reporting template for the natural gas and oil industry, describing it as a next step in industry efforts to accelerate climate solutions. The template will assist individual companies in consistently reporting and tracking greenhouse gas indicators. So it says, while many oil and gas companies have already been reporting CHG indicators for decades, the new template will standardize the reporting to a uniform set, easing comparison. So it sounds like they took a couple of things off the form, rearranged it, made it real simple, reprinted it. Sounds to me like uh, they're not in control anymore. Who, API? The oil and gas industry. Well, you know, that's interesting, too, because we've read about some people that have sort of dropped out of the API, and they're not the only organization. Well, what I, what I find interesting is, you know, we've put out, we've put out requests to API, and, and they've said no. And so here we're trying to find out information like this ahead of time, but all they're doing is putting it out. So they're not having a conversation what they're doing is creating a reaction. Yeah, it's like an executive order, basically. It's well, it's like you say, it's it's in a drawer, yeah. and they have dates labeled on it for when they're going to release it and say, this is the way it goes, guys. Yeah, I mean, with an organization like API, which I think has over 600 different members, they most do. of them large you know, oil they, and gas industry concerns. They are the lobbyist group that all the major news networks go to. I didn't realize this. They actually have been around since 1919. Sounds so, about right. Yeah, API. So, yeah, I mean, when they started at the beginning of the year with uh, the climate tax exemption, or when they started talking about that as an acceptable part of uh, going forward, that didn't just happen overnight. You know, like I said, they had that in a drawer. Same stuff with this. Yeah, what, again, amazes me is we have yet to hear from any industry leaders for, against, or what? This article has zero response from anybody. It only quotes the API president and CEO, Mike Summers. Who said he will not come on the program. Yeah. Yeah. He says, working with our members, the financial community, and throughout the supply chain, this reporting template builds on our robust sustainability efforts and elevates the consistency and comparability needed for tracking climate-related progress from company to company. That's like... Yeah, they're just going to keep everybody busy here. Let's bring Don in. Hey, Don, grab the mic. 
What do you, what do you, what That's do you, politics to me. <laughs> what do you think of the uh, API coming out with this sort of uh, template for oil and gas companies? I was more interested you in the came the out in Europe. Hey, you got to talk in the I mic. was more okay. interested in the idea that you had heard the story from Europe first. So, Oh, really about that? Yeah, I mean... Why didn't we have that out? Why, why? This doesn't I guess reference it's not it. Very important to me, but it does make it does make a reference in the uh, second or third paragraph that suggests that it this template they're not announcing it. It's more like it had been out, but now they're talking about it. Is it one of those things they put in their drawer? I think so. so. That oh, we said that four years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. Just go back and change the dates every now and then. That's correct. Yeah. So this quote by Mike Summers of API, he says, as an industry of engineers and problem solvers, we measure and track progress in everything we do and aim to share relevant data transparency, working with our members, the financial community. I'm, I'm, I'm bored reading this. Um, basically, though, what I'm reading is that if, if all this is true, so what, why do we need a template? And why do we need a carbon tax? And why do we need all these things? If what he's saying is true, that we have an industry of engineers and problem solvers. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's the, it's the leadership or lack of leadership that we keep seeing. This reporting template builds on our robust sustainability efforts and elevates the consistency and comparability needed for tracking climate-related progress from company to company. That's Boy, a lot of words. This man. is going to create a lot of new expense for every company, a lot of new expense for every government agency, and a lot of new expense for just the whole industry as a whole. So $100 oil might be $20 oil. Right. I mean, when you figure out the price of regulation. Uh, Don, you, you, know, you know Don Dabbert. Yes, I do. So Don Dabbert's president of the Home Builders Association locally now? Oh, I didn't know that. So he is. Okay. There, uh, we had a, a EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, uh, listening session out in Bismarck, and Don Dabbert was one of the, uh, you know, 30 representatives that were there. So it was uh, all the usual suspects of the political realm, and then, of course, you had the, the coal president and the oil and gas president, and so you had all those different, but Don Dabbert was there for the uh, home builders, and I was like, oh, look at that, you know? What he said was that, a new house, the price of a new house. This is what he told Michael Regan, the EPA administrator, when he had his 30 seconds or minute or whatever it was, that the cost of a new house, regulation alone is 28% of the cost. Just regulation. That doesn't include taxes and Home Depots and everything else. No, just the amount of fees that you got to pay by all the different government regulations if you buy a hundred thousand dollar house, they have to go one hundred and thirty-eight thousand. That ties into what you're talking. That's about what I'm talking too, about right? here. Is right. that that's what's going to happen? The amount of regulations that have come into those other industries will just increase everything to this. If you're trying to get rid of oil and gas as a primary energy source in the country, one of the best ways you could do that, other than overregulate it, is to make it so complicated and expensive that only three or four companies can be responsible for it discharging it you know like we've talked about before so i, I mean i just see they're gonna turn these oil and gas companies into like bankers yeah I, i'm a bunch of people sitting in dude, i'm not even surprised spreadsheets all day man well, the, who's got the weenus report today i Isn't think that the office i think Max? what we're actually looking at space? is is yeah office space <laughs> i think what we're actually looking at is a slow motion nationalization 
or something like that, where it's all sort of under one umbrella. I mean, we have, you know, some... That's the second time you've brought up nationalization well, in a, we, I've, in, in, I've in a very in, correct context. I've lived in countries when it's happened, and I've visited countries where it's, you know, where that, the oil industry or, say, the rare earth mineral industry, that there's no private fingers in that. It's still corrupt as hell, but the government owns it. Yeah. You go to places in Africa, you know, the, it's state-owned. So, yeah. Don, what do you think of that? <laughs> Politics plays or raises its ugly head a lot in everything we do. And, um, you know, my background isn't oil and gas. No. But I've always been a believer in that system. Mm-hmm. I remember when gas was 19 cents a gallon. That's and you were in the military. Ago. No. <laughs> hmm? that was, uh, that's when I was young. No, yeah. no, you were in the military. Oh, I was in the military, too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But... The point being that um, that's an industry that's not going to go away. Mm-hmm. It it could get smaller in many 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 years. But the if if you shut down the city of Houston, Texas, half the packaging in the in the country would go away because of the plastics yeah. they make there. Yeah, you know it, and they use a lot of oil to do that. Now, is that good or bad? Uh-huh. You know, I I'm. I believe in the Green Revolution when it comes to, hey, we all should do our part and try to keep everything clean uh, and not mess it up and, and use products that aren't destroying the earth and all that kind of stuff. But that's a difficult process to get everybody to do that. Absolutely. So, And you bring up a good point about you know petroleum products being – a lot of people don't realize how much – of our day-to-day life is petroleum-based, really, when you get down to it. And there's problems on the other side because, sure. uh, you know, if you read any science about the technology that's going on right now, they're stuck on batteries. They, they're trying to make them better as hard as they can, yep. but we're a long way from having yeah. those super batteries they're talking about. Yep. Now, Musk has done a heck of a job with the battery he has. Mm-hmm. They're good, okay, but... They serve the purpose for today. Yeah. They, you can't get all those electric cars on the road without much better batteries. Yeah, what are they talking you'll about? you never be able to make it. I mean, we're up 20, here near Fargo. Yeah. Uh, they, you can't, well, you could just make it from the cities. Yeah, no, maybe. You, you, no, I, I, I figured no. it out that I could make no, it from here to, to Alexandria no, you on can, a full charge. You, you can make it 75% of the way, and then you got to stop and charge. Is yeah. that because of the speed? Because I thought no, because said that his cars will go 320 miles. No. Well, um, maybe his highest now, end. Now, keep in mind that, that that's on a perfect condition and everything else. So that doesn't factor in wind, doesn't factor in uh, uh, elevation. So like in Colorado, you're screwed. Going up the mountains, yeah. you're screwed. So, but there's basically, I've talked to Tesla owners and things. They've got to stop either halfway or about seventy five percent of the way. Now, Fargo to Minneapolis is a three hour drive. That's about a three hour drive. Yeah, a little bit more. Is it about three and a half? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, about, it, even with all these people going eighty there, L- Lauren Scott from Louisiana, <laughs> same deal. He talks about that how. Uh, these uh, EV drivers trying to go, I think, from New Orleans to Lake Charles or Baton Rouge to Lake Charles. It's a three-hour drive or a three-and-a-half-hour drive. They can't make it with the, with the current Teslas, even though they're kind of advertised to do that. The reality is they can't. 
Well, where's all the free charging stations that he was going to build? That's I thought he was going to build Oh, man, we, we've I gone on I that terrible. That. Well, yeah. we were trying to plan Jason's trip down to the Permian for an event a couple months ago, just hypothetically. Oh. If he went with an electric vehicle, it's going to take like 10 days. Uh, After a half hour of trying to plan the first day, yeah. I said, I'm not doing this. Mm. I, I don't. I, I don't have yeah, the time to yeah. even do. I don't have. I don't have hypothetical screw around time. And yet, it's some on some level, <laughs> we're expecting Tinder that the time. entire federal fleet of vehicles by 2030, I think, is going to be all EV. I well, mean, it, I'd be all about an electric car if it could do what I needed it to that's do. That's the part that I'm it worried doesn't about. Doesn't do it. Right is now. I'm looking at a little bit more details on this API uh, template, mm-hmm. and so did you download it? Is it like two questions? No, no. There, it's, it, there, there's some stuff there, but okay. they, they, they go into uh, scope one and scope two of GHG emissions. Okay? That's a proctologist term, Scope isn't one it? emissions cover direct releases from owned or controlled sources, while scope two covers indirect emissions from generating purchased electricity, steam, that sort of thing. Okay. There's even a, 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 a phase three that they're going to get into as well, which they say... More updates are coming later this year. But where I'm going with this is the whole reason they're doing this is to satisfy the SEC. So because the SEC is coming out with these mandates starting in 2022, that's why API is doing this. This is another example of how the government now runs the oil and gas industry. I that's so. what I, that's where I'm going with this. Can I insert yes, something here that I, I look at, uh, and I'm going to be a futurist here. The way they can do this with electric vehicles, first of all, there, there's some real downsides to electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. Some of these rare earth elements in the batteries that they're coming up with, we don't have enough of. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of difficulties when it comes to some of that. But besides that, they would have to, they would have to hold down the number of cars they produce, mm-hmm. okay? And, and the gasoline's got to go away in the meantime. But... Nobody's going to own a car anymore. You're just going to make your phone, take your phone out and say, I need my car to be here at 10 o'clock, and mm-hmm. you're one of the fleet. You might have to pay to be a part of the fleet. Your car but, share. But the car will pull up in front of your house, and yep. it's your car. Car I share. Nobody's driving. I totally, car to- sharing totally see that. Car sharing will be big time. So, I, yeah, I Sterling, totally see that. I, I believe Sterling's, uh, sh- we call it the shale play profit instead of futurist, where you get up on your oil drum and you're the shale play profit. Yeah. And one of the things I think Sterling's right about is is he's seeing countries nationalize and that sort of thing. But oh, yeah. what he's talking about with the EV revolution is, number one, now Biden has put more money into supplementing the cost of EV vehicles than are going into roads. So the, the cost of EV vehicles are going to stay about where they're at so they don't have to go up. So number one, they're going to stay somewhat affordable for the kind of rich and upper class. But where Sterling, I think, is more right is the price of gas. As the price of gas goes up, less people are going to drive. They're going to push. And so try to push the uh, the, uh, gasoline car out. And and the regular middle class and below to the bus and to Uber and to car shares. You know what gets me about this whole thing? No matter how they plan this, who gets hurt in the long run is the little guy. Yeah. The the poor poor people. Yep. You know, they put a cigarette tax on. Well, 90% of the people that smoke lived in below in the poverty, poverty or right? lower class. And yeah. I, I don't the ones know necessarily, stress. you know, they they talk today about <laughs> yeah. 
they talk today about uh, racism. Well, I think it's more of a class warfare here. Oh, I do too. That's Me too. going on. It's because, a class deal. Yeah. You know, it, it's not what color your skin is. It's how much money you produce every month. Oh, absolutely. How do you live with it? Yeah, I mean, if you go to buy fresh fruit and stuff for your kids uh, twice a week or something versus somebody who makes half that, they're going in there and they're buying ramen noodles they're buying macaroni and cheese in a box because it's 99 cents for three boxes they're buying all the stuff that's cheap that's empty calories horrible for us right you have to actually make a decent wage in this country to afford a healthy diet i believe it's class warfare and i used to tell people this all the time uh, class discrimination and etc and and we're and we're bred like this because if you're walking down the street and if you see a person of another color and it doesn't matter what color you are. If you see someone of another color, that's different than you, right? So that's where there's a discrimination, first mm-hmm. of all. But if that person is wearing an Armani suit, and you know, if, if you're an African-American and you look like Tay Diggs, or if you're a white man and you look like Leonardo DiCaprio, okay? Now, let's take the opposite side of that. You're walking down the street and you see that Armani suit looking individual and right next to it is the person of the same race as you. So if you're white, it's a person that's white, Caucasian. If you're black, it's a person who's black. But they look like a homeless individual. Yeah. They look like ragtag. People are going to be more afraid of the ragtag than the Armani person. That's what I'm getting at. Can I think that this is all... This is all in a plan of some kind, and, and I'm not going to start a conspiracy theory, but the United States is built on individualism. We don't talk about groups. Right. Right? But That's a republic. The, it's a republic. Mm-hmm. You have a choice of where to live, in what, what area you want to live in. Every one of the states is part of the republic, right? So, But, but the point I want to make there is that as long as they keep grouping people, we're losing the war. Mm-hmm. If we, when we talk about grouping people, we lose the war. It's all about individuals. Yeah. I mean, this company doesn't start up with you on the radio, even if it wasn't for you mm-hmm. and and somebody like you to yep. support it. Yep. This ad no, agency right. for my pillow, they kept trying to refer to me as an influencer, and I said, "No, I'm not. I'm a disinfluencer for anything." I said, "My guests are the ones that are experts." I said, "If well, you go and look at my stuff." We promote the crude life. We don't promote Jason Spies. And then also, what did I say right away about Mike Lindell? What was the first thing I said? I said, whoa, they labeled him as a conspiracy theorist or mm-hmm. whatever? I said, that's what you're saying. They grouped him, and that's what's happening. Now, now, wait. Okay, don't you remember that Obama at one time said, you didn't build that business. You didn't start that business because all your employees did. Oh, yeah. And... He misses the point completely about why this is an indi- Look at himself. He built his own image. He was one person, okay? Mm-hmm. We, if, we, if we go to groups and we try to group everything, mm-hmm. we're lost. Yeah. We're lost because that's not what this country is about at all. And that's why... I, I see it. No, I, I agree. And I think that that's probably one of the, the biggest pushbacks we have against some of this stuff. EV vehicles is a great example. Post-World War II... Automobiles became much more uh, inexpensive. They became more accessible. They became more family vehicles. But they also, there was an independence. You had Eisenhower building the interstate system. We are a society that from 1940-something has been wanting to go. 
And we liked that freedom. You get in your car and you mm-hmm. go. More than anywhere else in the world, we love our cars because of they, we associate it with freedom. Uh, so when you tell us, we're, you could still have a car, but you got to share it with everybody in the neighborhood. I want to do things for the planet that are helpful, but that, that where's sucks. My, where's my gun? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a really hard, that's a hard bridge for us to cross, Excuse man. Me. Take one step onto my property, will you, sir? Come here and tell me you're going to take my car. And that's exactly why it's really hard for us to have those types of conversations. Right. Because we are a fiercely independent nation, and we always have been, when we have to, or when we're told we have to do stuff like this, our immediate reaction is... That's right. That is... Uh, I'm still in America, aren't I? We'll yeah. get off my property before I get my gun. Yeah. I don't have to answer your stupid questions. Oh, look at this. My gun is on me because I live in Texas and I don't need a license anymore. But when we when we end the conversation with my gun, we're not getting anywhere. We better get to the next news story. I agree. I agree. All right. Next news story. So check this out. This is from MSNBCLSD.com. Are we still on the first news story? No, we're gone. We're on, dude. That was, no, I mean, was that our first one? That was our oh, first geez. one. I know. We're going we're gonna to blow in, through yeah. these, okay? All right. Headline, Biden administration sued for 15B. I guess that's bucks. Oh, this is where Keystone, uh, I'm yeah, sorry, uh, Energy Transfer. this is transfer. over the Keystone XL pipeline cancellation. So, from yeah. okay. South Dakota News. Read, read two paragraphs, and I'm, I'm going to say my piece, and then that's right. about it. Company behind the Keystone pipeline is suing the Biden administration for $15 billion over the cancellation of its project. TC Energy Corporation is claiming that the U.S. government breached its fair trade obligation when it pulled the project's permit. Good point. The pipeline, which was being built to carry oil from the tar sands of Canada into the U.S., has been a target of environmentalists for years. The legal argument says TC Energy is eligible to recover economic damages as part of the NAFTA agreement between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Yeah. So... To me, this symbolizes that energy transfer believes this is it, and and they're serious now. Well, so this is, and with that being said, they're going to win. They're going to win. Well, unfortunately, they're going to win. I totally agree with you, but the pipeline's still gone. No, that's what I mean. It's it's like they won the battle but lost the war yeah. type of a thing. And, you know? I, and and so, Don, what do you, what do you think on that? I just get upset when I even think. I know, right? Uh, it's, I, that's I, why we try to keep it chill you here. Can't but. take. What, I, I don't. I heard a lot of different numbers about the jobs lost because yeah. of it. I heard about that, four or five thousand. Oh, I heard many more. Numbers. Well, I was just talking in this area, but oh, up no, and downstream, I'm, yeah, up and down, yeah. But, um, no. What can you do? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we. You're right. It's, unfortunately, they're going to win the war mm-hmm. because Biden did a, had a big mistake what he did. Gave it to Russia in a way. Because he said they could build their pipeline. Right, right. So it wasn't an environmental issue with him. It was mm-hmm. pure politics and his hate for Donald Trump. That's do, all. Do you want to point this out, too, that when you take away the pipelines and put things on the rail and put things on the, in the vehicles... More dangerous. You're actually... Not only more dangerous, it's worse for the environment. You're putting more crap yeah, in the Yeah, so air. it's actually... Uh, yeah. Is it any big surprise that the Wizard of Wall Street uh, or, uh, that lives down in Omaha, what's his name? Uh, Buffett? Buffett? Yeah. Owns the railroads? Makes Where did money. he get most of his money? Yeah. Through his special interest group. I'll tell you, the... Uh, 
that's the thing that kills me because I, you know, again, I'm pretty much an environmentalist. I believe in keeping things clean, but I also believe in the fact that we need to to live while we're doing this stuff. But With this heat? is just stupid. This is just. This is. Are we getting into flat Earth territory? No, it's just it's. <laughs> it's getting you, crazy. You pick that hill to die on, really? Right. I mean, you because it is just a symbol to the to the people on the left. Now, when you're talking about it going through somebody's reservation, their sovereign land, I don't want to get too much into it. That's their debate; they can have it. But when we're talking about a pipeline as a symbol. For bad, for well, oil, it's bad. Instead of it being take, the safest the, way to do it. Take the pipeline that we keep shale play profiting about, about uh, Line 5 in Michigan. Right. The one where the that's never had a problem in 70 years. The one that actually should be anointed as, look at how great this pipeline is that <laughs> this has is how you never... Do it. Leaked in 70 years. In fact, we should learn how this thing had such great integrity so we can evolve it to the next generation of pipelines. Instead, the governor's saying, ew, let's get this out of here. Hey, Leo, are you around? Mark Ruffalo, because I'm seeing the celebrities are starting. the celebrities are getting in on it. Okay, here's here's where we shale played profit, Don. About two months ago, this Michigan governor just started beating the war drums on the protest for Line 5. Well, 90 miles away... We got protests every day for the Enbridge pipeline, okay? That doesn't really make the news outside of Bemidji. But where there's never been a a pipeline problem, get this. Are you ready for this, Don? Bum, bum, bum. You want to talk about conspiracy, put on your tinfoil hat for this bad boy, right? Because I don't get into the tinfoil hats too often. I like to try to at least be a journalist. (laughs) But this one is just the, the, the smoke signals are just way too much. International border, sovereign nation of a Native American Indian reservation, United States, Michigan, up in the UP, right? It's up in the Upper Peninsula. Yeah, I believe so, yeah. So you've got international, Native American, American. Checks all uh, those checks boxes. checks all the boxes for the UN to come in and say, here's your climate tax. <laughs> totally. I mean, or whatever the fait accompli is, the fait accompli. So anyway, that's my tinfoil hat moment, Don. <laughs> I think, you know, the, the biggest disappointment for me, for somebody like Governor Whitmer's, is that that is, it's clearly just to barn it, you know, to, to, to polish her credentials, I right? Like July shows. Go it's on. just to get in, you know, to, to, to be seen on a national level doing something, but it's... It's the wrong... I mean, we're never going to actually be able to get stuff done if everybody is just showboating. Well, and the the reason I'm kind of paying attention right now, too, is because a lot of this is kind of a test run because... And Don will tell you this because he worked in the media for a long time, is that um, July is when everybody takes their vacations mm-hmm. because in in the world of radio and television and everything... Everybody's on so, hiatus. People are so busy, they're not either watching or they're not really retaining yeah. or just that kind of stuff. So everybody, that's why here at The Crude Life, if, if we get to episode 125 by the end of July, we're, we're, that, that's going to be an accomplishment. And then we got to get back to the grind. By the way, we are putting out new interviews every day. We're putting out new interviews every day, but we're just not doing the uh No, you're still working show. every day. Yeah, it's I'm just me that can't show up day. every day. Well, but part of it is, too, that July we want to take some time off and, yeah. and relax a little bit and have you know guys like Don come in. Well, uh, uh, the um, ESG Doubting Thomas, mm-hmm. the Doubting Stephen, mm-hmm. Professor Stephen Hines. 
Uh, he's going to join us too in our next program uh, to do some more Doubting Thomas Doubting ESG. Thomas. <laughs> he just had hernia surgery, so he's sitting around pretty bored. So okay. I said, ah, we'll get well, you Don't on. make him laugh too hard. I asked him if he'll be cantankerous or crotchety, and he said yes. I said, yes. good, you can come on. And, <laughs> That's you know. what you want. Well, Don's right? going back to Georgia. So are you going back to Georgia? I am. Yeah. Leaving on the midnight train? Yeah. <laughs> Are you uh, driving an EV vehicle or a gas-powered vehicle? Gas-powered vehicle. Wants to hey, get what there. did you do in the military, by the way? Oh, wow. Yeah, just quick. You know, not, not to, you know, if you can far, tell far us. Away. I mean, let's not, you know, not sit in on your knee story. Um, More like we're going to well, that floor depends five. depends on when. What, what were you, Air my, Force, Navy, Marines? Army. Army, okay. Yeah. Oh, you were almost I right. started out as a hawk. Continuous Wave Radar Maintenance Specialist. I Boy, can't even say that. Anymore. Look at that fancy title. That's a name. Yeah, Immediately. meaning he he brought the ham radio to the guys. No, I'm just no, kidding. That's, that's not what it sounds actually, like. Actually, what we did is they had integrated circuits at that time, so we'd pull a drawer if we could kind of figure out what was wrong. We could pull a whole drawer out and put a new drawer in. We did circuits. Oh yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Back when I first got in, yes. But then I was, uh, I went into artillery and I went to OCS. I was an officer candidate school and I became a first lieutenant and went right to Vietnam. Where did, where so, did you? Um... Oh, by the way, I was drafted. No, <laughs> nobody knows about draft. Yeah, right. I was drafted. I was going to go to college and That'd I got drafted. Show. Yeah, it would. That'd yeah. be a good show to do people that were drafted yeah, and yeah. couldn't get out of it. You know what? I believe, honestly, you can think I'm crazy. I think that everybody that graduates from high school should be made to serve two years of service. Now, I didn't say in the military. Right now. But we should have certain programs, mm-hmm. but each one of them should have a basic training. Absolutely. You know who does that? Absolutely. Is, uh, Israel. Yes, they do. You do like two yeah. years. I forget it's what they actually, call it. Actually, it's it's more than that. I think it's it's four and years. Four? And, then it's, and then if the okay. government after that wants to be so nice to you, then maybe they can give you junior college free. Right. Which but then they can I, call you up I, for life, too. I don't believe in the way colleges are funded today. I think it's a bunch of crap, and they seem to do what they want to do yep. no matter what anyway. but um, Where'd you do basic at? Um, Fort Knox, Kentucky. That was an armor post. That was, uh, I think, the armored, uh, big armored division was, I think it's still an armor armor post. Okay. So, okay. Did you spend some time in Oklahoma? I spent... Chickasaw. No. I, 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 no, Lawton is where I took... Lawton. Ba- I went to OCS there, Officer Candidate School in Lawton, Oklahoma. It's all closed down there now. They don't have any of that. Really? Oh, all gone? And that no longer just artillery. It's missile. It's artillery and missile school. But um, that makes sense. Yeah, and the you know, it, things have changed big time in the military because they do it a lot differently. Today. I wonder if a table of thirty-year-olds would find draft stories entertaining or boring. Because I would find it fascinating, but yeah, so my I totally agree. I think that there should be a required national service, you know, that that teaches you, either military or otherwise, yeah. that that basically it. it 
teaches you some skills that are useful. Mm-hmm. It gets you to meet other people outside of your get immediate some of area. Get gang members out of the mm-hmm. inner cities exactly. to get out of there. Now, yeah. Brad, you, and you know, you know Brad who does the uh, voice for the show. He's got the voice like Sam Elliott, the guttural yeah. voice, yeah. The, the, the gentleman who thinks Bernie Sanders is not left enough. <laughs> That's what I love Brad. Brad. Brad's always telling me, Bernie's too right for me. And I look That's at him like, funny. oh my goodness, how are we friends? Uh, Anyway, but uh, uh, Brad always thought that, too, that uh, uh, should go to two to four years of service. But he thought the same thing you did, that it shouldn't be the Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines. It should be well, it your choice. Be, it could. It could but be. It could be. And he said Greenpeace, which I don't agree with, but maybe something along those lines. Uh, yeah, that's They're too political. A, that, that's a political, but, privately owned corporation. Right. Yeah. But his, his idea was there, you know, which is people to go clean the ocean yeah. people to go well you know, we got habitat humanity we got yeah. a bunch of oh, stuff no. that you know that are out there but i mean we've got systems but i would say something that was uh it's missing well we had a program uh that uh, kennedy started and it was called um what was it called was Where it jump start or head start out to another country and you spent some time oh peace corps peace corps yeah Okay, yeah. it's still in existence, yeah. I think. That it was is. another but, one he okay, would mention, Okay, you yeah. can go into the Peace Corps, yeah. Yeah. but you have to go to basic training. Yeah. All right? Um, or now, why, why the could, basic the training? Could, then the government could start other programs. Yeah. Uh, uh, go in and clean a city. I don't yeah. have a troop of people to go around cleaning cities up or whatever. I agree I with the care. basic, too. The basic training well, would serve the purpose of years, discipline. and Basic it, training is the discipline side yeah. of things. Is, see it, that, is it the discipline or the actual workout activity to get some of these uh, kids these days both. actually exercised? I, yeah, both, I, I think that that would be part of it, just like it would be in the military. <laughs> He's you like, know? no, I just want short haircuts. <laughs> no, 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 no. Look at my hair. I, I don't, I don't care anything at all about that. But I believe in that they have to go through. I remember standing in my first line when I went in the military. All right, at Fort Knox. Yeah. Thinking that this was a government conspiracy. Ha! That. What is going on? I have no control over my life at all. And were they doing vaccines and putting, you know... They give you shots, you shots? take a shot, That's right. and you stood in line and waited for them. Oh, my. I, I don't know if I could do that. You don't I have well, a choice. I don't think they do. No, I, don't, I, I honestly don't think it's run that way anymore. There's certain, Probably. if you're going overseas, there's certain shots you have yeah, to have. Absolutely. I've seen too many... But um, when you go in, you're going to, you all sign away all that priority well they don't want you bringing something into the barracks and they don't want to be spreading stuff around they want no, the, I get the military it. likes to have be able to do uniform things right? right so we know we can put things in their boxes well and it's no different if you go over to africa you got your your doctor's gonna put a bunch of shots in you from malaria and all kinds of diseases you've never heard of when i went to egypt we had to take malaria pills. We had to get two different shots, and I still got sick. I stayed away from the water, but I ended up having a glass of pop with ice, and the ice was made with local water. Instantly intestinal. No kidding. Oh, it was doom. I, you didn't. You didn't get the mummy vaccine. No, no I didn't not get the in Egypt. Uh, comma. No, you man, just had it the was, toots. Yeah, I the think. Toots. A, I do think, though, a basic training type of thing is helpful to anybody. Most of the people that come out of the service, obviously, today, because you join, are three- or four-year mm-hmm. enlistments, not two. Um, and they, the military has changed drastically. Their educational programs that they go through to make you a good soldier can do a lot for you on the outside after you work. 
So I'd say, you know, if there's a, a vet coming in that's been served in the military, if I was owned a business, I'd look at that guy yeah. right up front. Yeah, and there's corruption and everything. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. There's no perfect situation. But generally speaking, they turn out good people. Well, I think yeah. so. What's, uh, what's the next news story? Well, I thought we would end on uh, something a little exciting and also kind of terrifying. So this is from, uh, actually, it's all over the web right now, but the headline is fish, as in the one swimming in the ocean, getting addicted to meth. Shows, oh. uh, shows our waste Florida? can mess with their brains. No, actually, this is a study from the Czech University of Life Sciences in Prague. So we, we have, wait a minute, wait a minute. So we got meth alligators... That's right. Meth raccoons. Yeah, but the meth alligators, they're doing that on purpose, what I was, think. No, no, that was because so many people were flushing the flushing meth, the meth. And, and, and ditching the weed, you yeah, know, and all ditching that. ditching the weed. Crotching the weed. What was <laughs> so the... Uh, tell me that that affects alligators and fish. In Florida, yeah. there was an issue. There yeah. were, were, uh, They've got meth-addicted alligators. And monkeys, so now fish can't... Right? S- I don't know about the monkeys. It wouldn't surprise me. So what you're saying is now fish can't swim in a straight line. Yeah, so okay, here's... Yeah, get, get to the story. Okay, Sorry. so uh, new research shows that illicit methamphetamines in the wild can wind up in the brains of fish, passing one of human society's ills further down the food train. Drug addiction in wild fish could represent another example of unexpected pressure on species living in urban environments. That totally makes sense because, oh, wow. okay, with Frackleberry Hound... Uh, every now and then, you know, I'll give her like uh, when we're on the road, uh, like a pouch of tuna or something like that. Well, you got to be very careful when you give the dog any kind of human food. Yeah. Because the sodium that a human takes is not close to what a dog can take. Yeah. So even on like a can of tuna. You can't do more than like a can a day right. because there's too well, much sodium. Yeah. No, you can buy on sodium. No, but what I'm saying is that Natural. the human food is so different for a dog. Oh, so yeah. imagine, it doesn't directly translate. Imagine to what these prescription drugs. Yeah. People are thinking, oh, they just dilute in the water. No. Well, if you're a minnow or a bass or a you know a floor a marlin swimming by, all you need is a little dab. Think about a shark. Yeah. A shark can detect a drop of blood. In what, a mile of water something or like something that, yeah. like that? Yeah. Something ridiculous. They've got an insane sense of smell. You got all these, what, goldfish just knocking into each other? Well, with okay, so the, the from, researchers... Uh, <laughs> from, what, from what's the show? The, boy, the uh, orange fish. Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. Yeah. <laughs> so the researchers isolated some trout in a tank of water laced with the same level of meth that's been found in some freshwater rivers. After eight weeks... The fish were happy, I mean, transferred to a new <laughs> tank and offered a choice between fresh water and water with meth. Guess what? The team found out the trout had become addicted after two months in the meth water and would reliably seek out the drug after being removed from it and began to feel the effects of withdrawal. The addicted fish also showed lower activity levels than trout. Uh, and they, jeez, <laughs> yeah, they, they wouldn't be able to, uh, they, they showed less interest in mating. Wow. They're all gonna, the all the more reason to keep the border open. Oh my! Now that's being ironic and being facetious here, but well, because it flows downhill, ridiculous. type of thing. Or do these it's fish no. just start digging holes? Okay, so what they're worried about is that addiction to drugs in the water could change the natural behavior of fish, possibly causing them to look for a fix by gathering near places where contaminated water look is for discharged. A fix. Yeah. Whoa. 
If you think carp swimming near the edge of a feeding pond can be unsettling, addicted trout gathering near your local wastewater discharge is a new and kind of sad, apocalyptic vision. I am sorry, but I just see a business opportunity for somebody. Somebody's going to club those med fish no, up beside the no, head? No, no, no. If, if you're a pet shop, just start putting in the window, we sell meth water. A sweet little honey pie down by the sea. You know how to look and who you want. There's nothing better than a real personality Yes, you know the waves like you know your skin Feel them flowing over you again you The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show Play Hard, Work Hard is by the Moody River Band The Crude Life, the most trusted voice in energy. On the phone, talking with us today, Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. We are the oil and gas regulator, but we do pipelines and pipeline safety inspections for the state of Texas. We have roughly 470,000 miles of interstate and intrastate pipelines in Texas and roughly another 500,000 miles of gas utilities. We have a lot of pipe in Texas. We're the largest pipe state by a six. It's an important part of what goes on in the state, and safety is is really important, obviously, to all of us. Absolutely. You know, the, the oil and gas industry has always been environmentally focused. I mean, uh, the President Biden's administration, that this is Obama-Biden 2.0+. plus. And the rate at which we've seen the executive orders flying off the president's desk is taking America back, taking jobs back, and putting us in a detrimental position. But as the attorneys general for a number of states, we are pushing back. Um, from the Department of Transportation, that Permian, the Permian Basin has some of the um, most deadly roads of anywhere in the country. We average a fatality per day. That is absolutely unacceptable, and we need to do better. Uh, we just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. I went out there on my first rig move, and I was like, wow, I'm permitting all these loads, getting trucks going, load go, and I don't even know what half the stuff was. So when I finally got to go on the rig, I was like, wow, I was amazed. I was truly amazed of how this process is. No, I wasn't expecting any olive branch at all. Uh, the Democrat Party has decided that they don't like oil and natural gas, and uh, they were clear that they're going to go after us. I, I don't think that's any surprise. My name is Jenica, and today we get to talk with Amy Andrzak of the Interstate Natural Gas Association of America. Amy is the president and CEO. How are you doing today? I would say my my interest in this arena started more from an interest in politics and advocacy, more so than an interest specifically in the energy industry. Well, the first the, the first advice that I that I want to give is, ladies, put your clothes on, okay? If you want to be taken seriously, put your clothes on, which that's a whole other podcast topic. The funny thing, what I think sometimes is just really ironic. I'll, I used to pull into the office and I would see some of my colleagues driving electric cars and things like that. And I'm like, how do you work for a large oil and gas company and <laughs> pull in an electric car? So, I mean, even us, I mean, even in our, in our circles, we can see that things are changing. Actually, you are on the money. Back in 2014 and 15, when we first started approaching our management team at 
our reasoning for wanting to engage in ESG is that we had great stories to tell. We all like living the crude life, so... Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. March to Ansbury, independent. Thank you very much for joining the program here today. Grateful you joined us here. You're a very busy man with a well-documented experience and pedigree when it comes to not only the oil and gas industry, but also understanding the world of media and the way to connect with people of all different walks of life because you can't be a writer and a, a orator, if you will, an orator, I guess would be the right way to say it, uh, without knowing how to connect with people. And you've got, what, five books now? Is that right? Yes, uh, Jason, I have five books. Um, I'm planning on uh, the sixth book coming out uh, a year from now. Uh, the theme has been, well, the book that really uh, got the most of the attention was America Needs America's Energy with the sub-team creating together the People's Energy Plan. And that book came out in 2012. Well, you know, there's a lot of things that have happened, Jason, in the last nine years that we need to update, get another edition of the book out to bring it up to date. Uh, a lot of it applies, but it, it'd be good to bring it up to date. And so that's what we're planning on doing. So hopefully a year from now uh, or year from, well, probably more like October, we'll probably have the book out. So uh, we're in that early stages of making sure the uh, it's up to date and ready to go, but we're we're not there yet. So it takes about a year of planning to do it right. And the name of the book was what again? American needs America's energy. American needs American energy. America's energy. America's energy. Okay. Yeah, America needs America's energy. A lot like Reading together people's energy plans. A th- sub thing, yes. A lot like the peanut butter cups when Reese is around. They're Reese's peanut butter cups. We <laughs> there a, you go. They're possessive. <laughs> possessive. That America needs America's energy. That's right. I used to work with a guy named Reese, and so I'd actually pick up some peanut butter cups occasionally just to play that <laughs> joke around him. Oh, here he comes. Hide the peanut butter cups. They're his, you know. <laughs> well, that's a good way to look at it because, you know, it's, it's if you say that. I mean, when you take America's energy, it is all of us working together, uh, no matter – where you are for the industry, oil and gas industry, opposing oil and gas industry, or whatever, we're all using energy. And no matter what, uh, nothing moves without energy. And so we've, we, <laughs> I guess possessive is a good way to look at it. Uh, it's our energy, and, and yet we need to educate, as you do, Jason. You, you're out there educating the public about uh, the industry, and especially the oil and gas industry, and how vital it is through uh, the years ahead. It's not just a you know, shutting it down today and looking at what's going to happen uh, with the transition, uh, we've got to all work together. That's why I say of all America, you know, all forms, all American, because it's all the above that we have to work with. But we've got uh, many years ahead with the oil and gas industry to get to, to the next. Well, I've got a lot of different. Dr- oh, excuse me, I apologize. I thought you were no, no, no. concluded no, no, no. there. Right hey, we're, this is a great discussion. I know we're going to be going back and forth. That's great. Yeah, I am very excited because uh, a lot, a lot of directions to go, and um, I'm not sure if there's anything you want to talk about, but we'll make sure we plug your your uh, speaking and website and just you know ways that you know you make a living because that's you know sure. what, one what, one of the things I like to make sure guests can get out there especially if they've got uh, sponsors and all these other things that they need to mention 
but uh, and, and we'll get to that. But I, I did want I've got three things I wanted to talk about, uh, which is going to turn into a hundred. I know that, but uh, so the the cruise shift and COVID. I want to I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the current state of the industry um, mm-hmm. and the ESG, the abandoned wells as well, but. Sure. The, the your comments got me going on a new topic now as I'm mm-hmm. looking at my notes that I wrote down about 20 minutes ago. Uh, well, because you know, we, we, we didn't plan, you know, we didn't pre plan what we were going to talk about. So, this is right. this is one of the reasons why I love when, when people come on the crude life because very rarely do we even have bullet points ahead of time of what we're going to talk about because we just know it's going to be a relevant, pertinent, intelligent conversation about energy. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, because you've been covering this for a long time and you got a hell of a resume, so you actually do know what you're talking about, is I did a story, I want to say it was even for the Oil Man magazine, which is one of our common connections. That's right. Is I bl- And it was on the infrastructure and critical infrastructure specifically, how pipelines were considered critical infrastructure. And it was just, it was kind of a questioning about how, where is this support from the authorities? Where's the support from, you know, the industry helping to educate on these different things? And then uh, U.S. Senator Kramer, I believe it was Senator Kramer, uh, last October, November or December, uh, when he was on the program, he was starting to speculate if there would ever be another pipeline built in the United States, you know, in the next foreseeable future. And then um, Mike Rentfrau, this is a great guest, deep blue, no, blue boat subsea, not subsidy, blue boat subsea. He's a uh, offshore uh, pipe, pipeline welder, and uh, he's been decommissioning pipelines. So there's there's several you know very good signs about the, the change of directions of the pipelines that go well beyond the protests. So I, we're, I'm just talking about the actual. Hey, I'm not seeing new pipelines being built, or even the authorities and the the, the establishment sticking up for the critical infrastructure that is labeled by the federal government. So, uh, where do you stand on the pipeline direction and just kind of what's been going on the last couple of years? Well, I, I echo what you're saying, Jason. Uh, I'm concerned, very concerned, because uh, we're we're losing uh, our workforce. First of all, uh, workforce of whether it's young people or those of any age that really want to get in the oil and gas industry, uh, it's very difficult to say, you know, I want to be uh, in the oil and gas industry right now and not be demonized, first of all. Uh, and so if you're going to a university or a technical school, uh, you know, first thing is, why are you going in the oil and gas industry for? And so I have a lot of, especially young people I've talked to, that they're going, we really don't want to go back, you know, go in your profession at all because, Look what's going on, and I'm, well, we, we need you. <laughs> uh, we need the landman, the geologists, geophysicists, and engineers, and we need uh, those who want to work, welders, and others on uh, the pipelines. And uh, it, it's a big concern because I, I'd written a book. I'd mentioned America Needs America's Energy, but I'd written a book uh, several years before that called The Breaking Point, and, and it's spelled B R A K I N G, basically the stopping point. And part of that was on the infrastructure. One of the chapters I really emphasized that we were not keeping up then. Uh, we were not keeping up with things that were needed 
as far as uh, maintaining uh, our, 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 our plants and, and refineries and our pipelines and so forth, our infrastructure, and that it needed to be a private-public partnership to get this done, which would mean what you're talking about, Jason, is educating the public and so forth. So uh, I, I still emphasize that, that we've got to maintain, because it's not a matter, matter of all magic that oil and gas industry is just going to go away today. Uh, you can stop uh, the Keystone Pipeline or other pipelines and say, well, we're through with the oil and gas industry. And uh, you can see how important our industry is when you look at uh, two, two areas of, of the country that were impacted this year, and that was, uh, you know, Texas being the, the grid and then uh, also uh, uh, the Colonial Pipeline. Uh, it was amazing. I had a friend in uh, Atlanta that said, I get what you're all about now in the oil and gas industry. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I had to go 60 miles outside Atlanta just to fill up my tank because I had to go to work every day and I had to go back. And then that one would close down. I had to find another location. He said, I see how important, you know, the pipelines are to the U.S. And I see how important oil and gas industry, you know, is to the U.S. And it took that to draw attention. I've been talking and preaching to him for years about the oil and gas industry. In fact, he was kind enough uh, when I'd written my book, American East America's Energy, he invited me to Atlanta and, and I gave a talk and signed some books. And so uh, I know that this awakening is happening, but it's pretty slow on the education side. Uh, we've got to educate more. We've got to do what you're doing on the talking about it, the dialogue, which I really appreciate. In fact, I have what's called uh, something I started four years ago called National Energy Talk. And what that is, is really doing what you're doing. It's a dialogue, but not just, uh, you know, yours is you know, definitely radio and, and podcast driven. We had a conference that I started in 1992 at the University of Oklahoma, uh, International Energy Policy Conference. And it was emphasizing striving for energy efficiency and environmental preservation. That was a theme. We, keep, we maintain that theme because they are hand, hand in hand. And it wound up that we were having these conferences and I had... In fact, next year will be the 30th uh, anniversary of the conference. We were having these conferences in D.C. and Denver and Dallas and all that. It was great. But what I wound up looking at was we were preaching to ourselves, meaning our oil and gas industry, our energy industry. Uh, we had, I believe, that we needed to start more into the national dialogue. So that's why National Energy Talk, which is really part of what was a conference and what was part of the media-driven, social media-driven, all that, put under umbrella. And part of that is going back to what we talked about. We need to maintain our pipelines. We need to build uh, an infrastructure that we're not, you know, we're number one, you know, in that regard. And we've got to maintain our security. Um, and the only way we can do that is to maintain all our infrastructure. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the current state of the industry. Uh, do, where do you think we're at in terms of, you know, the current state? I've I've been on record saying that, you know, if we keep doing the same things that we've been doing, keep giving the same money to the same people we've been giving money to, and et cetera, et cetera, that we're going to have a half a dozen companies controlling, you know, 90% of the global supply by the end of 2022. Well, I said that to U.S. Senator uh, Kevin Kramer back in December, and I'll never forget it because he said it's more, he said, Jason, it'll be three companies. 
And I went, okay. Oh, my goodness. Uh, exactly. And, you know, I, and, and so I thought, oh, good. I got a U.S. senator now to cite instead of my craziness. I can actually have somebody else get thrown under the bus on this, you know, hot potato of a topic. So um, I like to just start with that context to where kind of where our conversations have been that, you know, especially when you take a look at the bankruptcies over the last two years, three years, and then you take a look at what debt is out there right now. Um, It's an incredible story, really, that I do think a lot of people should be a little bit more aware of than I think they are. Uh, Just your thoughts on the current state of the industry. Current state, again, goes back to a huge concern. Uh, I had a friend of mine recently uh, that I visited with that had been has been in the oil and gas industry since his 20s. He's uh, reaching 60 years old, and he had several hundred wells that he was involved with, and he said, I'm selling. Uh, he said, I'm, I can't take it anymore. Basically, it's you know regulations. You don't know what what's going to happen with the oil, oil and gas prices because of, you know, are we going to go pushing the Green New Deal uh, and, and eliminate my industry and at the same time not be able to provide uh, revenues and and so forth. And I, and I said, you really are getting out. He said, I have actually sold but all but one well so far after all those years. And he said, I'm, I'm holding on to that well because it's been something of our families for years. And so that'll be the last one I get rid of. The, the, and I'm talking to a lot of folks like that, Jason, that are going, we've, we've, in fact, there's a, a party I talked to uh, over the weekend um, that have contacts in Texas with uh, uh, a, tr- a trucking company, um, actually a transportation company for oil, you know, as far as that goes. And, and he he had already sold um, half of his trucks. He can't find workers. And so he said, I'm not going to fight it anymore. And so, and I haven't looked at it as of late, but at one point several years ago, Fifty uh, percent of the uh, of those working in the industry were going to reach retirement age, uh, fifty-five and above, um, over a few years. And so I haven't looked at that lately, but I'd say it's higher than that now. Probably fifty, sixty percent of those in the industry will be reaching retirement age, and a lot of them are just going to take it. In the past, uh, people stayed in. You know, they, I'd see friends of mine at seventy, seventy-five years old; they're still active. But, you know, I'm not seeing that. Right now, I'm seeing that they they basically throwing their hands up, and that's what goes back to what I talked about earlier: is those that are, you know, young folks that are wanting to get into the oil and gas industry. Um, they're they're sure not, a lot of them are not going to do it right now because they don't know if it's five years, ten years, twenty years, and to be, like I said, to be uh, in the position that you're going to be looked down upon for entering the industry because of the carbon footprint or because of um, methane emissions and things like that. Things that we are addressing, by the way. Oh, it's just not cool. It's just not cool right now. You know, it's, I've I've been saying this for three, four years and I was getting blackballed in, in, uh, in meetings by saying, you guys got to understand you're the big tobacco right now. And, and the quicker you understand that and try to pull away, we need to create an awareness campaign that you cannot heat your home on Marlboros and drive your car with Joe Camels. So you cannot be the big tobacco. Okay. It's more like the farmer. You're getting replaced by the grocery store than, than with the light switch type of a thing. So, uh, the farmers never got demonized all the way to big tobacco, 
But now the Wall Street Journal is putting big tobacco in the headlines. You know, it's it's flat out calling it out. So things that I was kind of getting, you know, poo-pooed and demonized and, you know, stink-eyed and everything like that. It, it, right. There's There's been a lot of the uh, putting your head in the sand with the industry. And some people call it silos. Some people call it buckets. Some people call it the country mm-hmm. club, the fraternity, the sorority, whatever you want to call it. It's here. Mm-hmm. The The... With that, I wanted to transition into the next topic, which is the the big cruise shift, because not only are people people retiring at at a rapid at a rapid pace, but there was the whole notion that by the end of 2022 and the 2023, you know, 90 percent of the 95 percent of the industry was going to be retired and replaced. It was called the big cruise shift, the great shift, you know. Yes. Um, I think that's done. For the most part, I, I think COVID sped it up. I think for the most part, the people are in place. And that's where I think you're going to see now this kind of this next generation. And it's going to be interesting to see how the, with the ESG and how that kind of handles a little bit. We can get into ESG next. But right. I did want to get your uh, thoughts on, you know, the cruise shift and whether you think that it, it's pretty much accelerated through COVID. Is it done or is it still happening? Yeah, I'd say yes, it's still happening. Um, because I still am talking to folks, they're still you know, scratching their heads. What am I going to do? They're still trying to hold on. They're it's such a unusual time as as we know each day's changing. Uh, uh, even when you have OPEC, that's you know as uh, of today, you know continue to fight each other also on what the outcome is going to be. So we're looking at how do you plan. You know, sit back and you go, how do I plan on this one? Is it going to be $100 or oil or is it going to be $20? You know, is it going to be uh, maintain our infrastructure? We're going to let our infrastructure go where we can't even, you know, transport our oil or gas. I mean, so there's so many moving parts, called the moving parts, the factors that are out there that I know many of my friends are, and I'm saying those that are 55 and above are going, wait a second, well, let's just look at it. Uh, let's think it through before we make a, a you know, dramatic uh, change, maybe uh, in, in not a positive thing for them, or for the country. We need all these folks. I mean, we need the landman, the geologists, geophysicists, those on work on the rig. We need those folks that have been out there that are 55 or above. It'll help transition, right? But uh, but that's that's a challenge, and um, I, I don't think it's it's over yet. But it's still it is there, and. Uh, and there are those, yes, that are getting out of the business, as I mentioned already. Um, here's what I think, Jason, and it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier. We've got to tell people to talk about what they do. And um, and I mean that by saying I have a lot of friends in the oil and gas industry have written checks to hospitals and to schools and helped uh, help you know different organizations and help kids get to school by giving scholarships and all these kind of things. And our oil and gas industry is a very big-hearted industry. It, it's one that gives. And and to think that uh, you're talking about COVID, the petrochemical products that were used during COVID is, is amazing. I mean, we, we without it, um, from transportation to actual. Uh, uh, containers and you know on and on, uh, we would not have had uh, good as good results by any means. So we need to to start appreciating our industry, but start with ourselves. Saying, I, I remember I gave a talk um, to a group and I'd say, 
and this is not just the one time I've spoken like this, but I'll tell them, tell me, I'll point out to the audience, tell me what you're, you know, because I knew they're in the oil and gas industry. Well, tell me about yourself. I'm a landman. Are, are you proud to be part of the oil, oil and gas industry? Yes. Not much enthusiasm, so forth. You're kind of looking around to see. <laughs> and I'm going, tell what you've done. What have you done as a landman? What have you done as a geologist? What have you done as a geophysicist? How do you, how'd you go through this? And how, what are you giving back? And you'd be amazed when they start opening up. And then at the end, they'll all start standing and cheering for each other. And that's what we need to do, stand and cheer for each other, because it's uh, we give back in so many different ways to our society to, to think that we provide uh, electricity. So uh, today, for example, I have a mother-in-law in a hospital out in East Texas that I know she's going to be taken care of at this point anyway because of uh, the energy industry is taking care of her, make sure the lights, and when she goes to surgery, she'll be in good shape and all that because of the energy industry. You know, nothing moves without energy, and that's 90 plus percent. I got, I got a feeling like 99 percent of our of what surrounds us. You know, from clothes to petrochemicals of all kinds. So uh, we've got a lot to offer. We still need to maintain uh, our, our workforce, but it's a challenge. Let me tell you. Yeah, I think I think the industry needs to do some thinking beyond too, because this ESG movement they seem to be losing the momentum and the narrative on that too. And you just mentioned something that I believe somebody who's got some authority when it comes to the ESG, because you know, like I said, there, there there's a movement happening, and I, I see it going more towards the direction of the uh, climate activists than I do the the oil and gas and and coal and fossil fuel industry for sure but you you mentioned a, a couple basically emergency services well you're talking about 50 to 60 percent of any city is devoted their energy grid is devoted to emergency services so th- theoretically technically you know some oil and gas company who pays somebody millions of dollars to come up with these esg reports they should be putting that in the esg report that every live that got saved totally agree go go figure out what the uh percentage of energy was on that given day at that given time and totally we'll, we'll see how what much that family relied on oil and gas and versus wind versus solar versus biomass versus hydro versus nuclear versus whatever because these technologies are there now they are. I mean, so much of this big data is available now. And, I mean, I've, I've talked to people from 10 years ago that were going over to foreign countries like Qatar and China, helping as a contractor put together, you know, switchboards that were essentially digital switchboards so they knew when the toaster would register wind energy at its peak, it would use that. I mean, this was from 10 years ago. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're at a point now where a lot of this stuff is available. So I don't even know how I got off on this little tirade. But, boy, no, but I, I, really I, like what, I really like what you're saying, though, because it, 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 it really goes to what you're saying is ESG. I mean, it's it, – it, Jason, you remember when um, we had phase one and phase two, phase three, all that, as far as uh, audits, as far as environmental assessments. And a lot of my buddies in the industry, uh, that goes back well, way back, uh, fought that. It's, uh, I'm not going to do all that. I'm just going to, so I wound up, I went and took a course, uh, because as a land man, I was a land man. I thought I need that to be part of my profession because I need to know more about environmental assessments. So I embraced it and I'm glad I did because, uh, we were kind of ahead in the sense that 
it, it wound up being something used, as you know, every oil, you know, every oil well will have, if it's done correctly, will probably have a piece, of, so at least a, a piece of paper or form or something talking about the environmental assessment was done on their particular location. And that in, is helping maintain the environment. I go that, I use that same example with ESG. Uh, several of my friends in the oil and gas industry that have companies, in fact, a CEO, one company for, in particular that I know of, has devoted part of his web, their website, the company's website, to ESG and have uh, put on their one to two pages, actually, I think he has two pages of information of what they're doing as a company. So he's taking the lead instead of fighting it and saying, well, that's, we're not going to be involved with that. Well, the key is it doesn't take that long, as you, you just talked about. It doesn't take a whole lot of time to show the facts. <laughs> We, we, we did the same thing with the Bach and barbecue. We made sure that, that all these different things were, you know, all the boxes that they wanted were checked. And then what we did is even a bit above and beyond mm-hmm. just to make sure that, you know, okay, if you're going to come back and move the goalposts on us again, well, move them to here at least. We'll set the bar even higher. That's right. Well, seriously, that's, that's how we're doing a lot of this ESG stuff because – we started doing a like weekly, yeah, we, we did a weekly ESG report back in 2014. Now, we didn't call it the weekly ESG report. We called it the uh, Meridian uh, Davis Refinery Report because it was the first refinery to be built in the United States, a greenfield refinery from ground up, not, not a, you know, remodeled or patchwork. Nope, from the ground up. Uh, in 50 years, 47 years, I think it was, 48 now, uh, since the last one was built. So I was, as a journalist, know that, oh, my God, this is going to set the global standard the second they turn the light switch on. Because mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. being the first one built in 50 years, you're going to set right. the, yeah. So I'm like, well, we got to document this. So we did a weekly report with the CEO, the chief engineer, and and it was all about the environmental stuff. Well, then we got caught up in the lawsuits because, you know, they're refineries. So we we were reporting on the 11,000 robotic emails that went into the state, copy and pasted to the state of North Dakota that they had to respond back to. That's all ESG folks. Mm-hmm. And the, you, you go talk to uh, uh, William Prentice. Sorry, I got to know him so well, I call him Bill. Um, you go talk to William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, and he'll tell you the new normal is one to four years of litigation. He'll, tell, he'll flat out tell you that. That's ESG, folks, because we've been trying to get a hold of the narrative for a long time. We would have on uh, guys from the engineering firm, Zia Engineering, for example, out of New Mexico, uh, talking because they, they were getting the creme de la creme, man, to try to get the, you know, to make sure they would uh, check all the boxes. He would go on and talk about the different bends and the angles, how that would r- reduce emissions. We were getting it dumbed down for the five-year-olds. So that because, again, we're on the radio, different audience. You got to approach it totally different than, you know, a podcast where you can where you can even drop a swear from time to time. You know, can't can't do that on the radio. Uh, But anyway, so this ESG movement, it's 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 almost like uh, a lot of the leadership, the appointed leadership or elected leadership or whoever. I don't know. um, Leadership. We'll just call it that. 
they're, they're just going to react when I think they need to be out ahead of the cart here. Um, just your thoughts on that. I'm not trying to piss anybody off or get polarizing here. I, no, I just, yeah, I, I, I just don't even know how to approach this. How about you? Well, I still believe that if, if we take it a proactive, I'd rather be in charge, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you know, I'd rather take a proactive stance and say, you know, here's here's the ESG. Here's how we're, we're handling it. We're going to answer the questions, but we've got a job to do. You know, it's like, here's 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 my report. It's, you know, very, you know, it could be 80 pages. It could be 100 pages. It could be two pages. But at least it shows a proactive stance that if that's what the investment you know, as far as investors, financial, whatever, are really demanding in society. Well, you got we've got some good answers for you. If you really read them, you'll see that we have better answers than most other industries. And because we we've been answering a lot of those questions for years. And uh, I know when I was on a, one board in particular, or other boards, but one in particular where I was involved on a, a committee on safety, we had a, a safety meeting first every monday you know we made sure all our staff and everybody went through this you know through the the committee procedures of making sure that everybody was in compliance and all that so we've we definitely as an industry have done a lot of great things and we need to tell our again talking about telling our story we need to tell our story that we are energy efficient that's our goal and environmental preservation is our goal hand in hand and uh, you're doing that jason I know it's frustrating. It's frustrating to me too, as well. We've got to keep telling that story. We've got to pound it because uh, our our country, our future generations are counting on it. Well, I tell you, um, the, the the people at Fourth of July Parade this weekend loved our story. They loved our story of showing tell me them. How that went. Tell me how that went. I, I was... What we ended up doing is, I'll start from the beginning, if you don't mind. That's perfect. Okay, so. Uh, we ended up creating an awareness for recycled water and how industry recycles and reuses water, right? And so we got a big plastic uh, uh, water tank, filled it full of water, and uh, put up a diesel, small little diesel generator with a hose to it and sprayed the crowd on a 95-degree day with recycled water, and they were just lining up, and it was better than candy. <laughs> It was better than I candy. It was, yeah. And, oh, we, I mean, we literally were the splash of the show. And so <laughs> I had people coming up to me afterwards, and we, we, had a, we had a little setup there and a little table and a booth, and, and we were talking to people. I mean, we were busy as can be, because you got to remember, we're in the heart of Lakes, Minnesota. So you've got, mm-hmm. uh, you got Winnipeg, Minneapolis, Wisconsin, Sioux Falls, Fargo. You know, you've got this, you know, five-hour area where people go to lakes, right, for the 4th of July. So this little town of 120 people gets 10,000 people dumped in there on a day. And so we had all kinds of people coming up to us, thanking us for such a creative way. And get this. Are you ready for this? We had people that actually said they would donate to the crude life for our cause. I love it. I have a hard time getting some oil and gas companies to meet with me. And I got a bunch of a bunch of blue, white collared liberals saying, love the message. Well, how can we donate to your cause? It's, it's you can't make it up, man. We live it in a to- topsy turvy world some sometimes. But um, it was a great time. And uh, uh, like I said, the spray in the water. Congratulations was, on that. That's wonderful. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Well, and, uh, and it was also the industrial forest was part of the awareness as well. 
well, uh, explaining to the people about how the industrial forest is going to be solving another problem. And that's, of course, that 50% of the trees that are planted uh, by nonprofits and by governments die in the first year. And so industry is going to solve that problem. Uh, go to the industrialforest.com if you want to check that out. But uh, we're here to talk to Mr. Stansberry, not Jason Spees plug his uh, activities in Fourth of July. I love and, your story. Love it. But that's, that's, uh, th- that was a, that, that's an example of ESG, for example, uh, yes. getting out there in a creative way. What, where I think we're at with ESG, and I'd love to know your, your theory on this, is, and I'll, I'll be kind of quick about it, is I, I honestly think that uh, the, uh, the, the oil and gas industry and the energy industry specifically are the leaders in the E of the ESG by, right. by a long shot. Uh, the S part, I think they do fine. I think they should do a better job maybe of a little bit more, uh, like like my comment, when you give the money to the same people, you get the same results. Maybe it's time to start looking at some other areas with the S part of it because the, the, the other part just seems to be getting you in that same area. Now, the G part is where I think there's going to be some 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 issue. That's the transparency side and the, the governance side. Uh, I think it's twofold. One is, uh, I, I think that there are some, some, some leaders out there who probably have not done some things that are, they're a little bit concerned about. Uh, but more importantly, I think, is, that, is the post-traumatic stress disorder happening with uh, the BP spill and Exxon, for crying out loud. I mean, we're talking about one incident 20, 30 years ago, another incident 10, 20 years ago, and it's still being talked about as an example and things along those lines. I don't know any other industry that got, that's been held that accountable. So um, I do think there are, there, there's a little bit of validity behind boardroom PTSD on trying to be transparent because, well, you know, some of the climate activists, you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. They will. So, um, like I said, E, I think they're the leaders in. I think S, they're already doing. Maybe just, you know, do a little bit more diversity behind the, the S part. Uh, the, the, the G, I think there's going to be some problems. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, your thoughts on ESG from what I just said? From what you just said? Yeah, I, I, when I say ESG for what's going on the website, it would probably emphasize the E part. Uh, that we've got... I wouldn't say handle, but we've got a better outlook there by all means because we've had to keep up with it. And, and, and But we haven't really told the story of how we've kept up with it as far as environmental. On the social side, yes, uh, we can do much better. And uh, and I see, uh, like for what Man- Emmanuel Sullivan's doing with his uh, not only Oil Man magazine, but Oil Woman magazine, I think it's a great thing, is, is to get the message out that uh, we relate to to uh, everyone that wants to be in the industry can be, and it's it's wonderful. On the governance side, um, I think we're going to see some shakeups. We've already seen Exxon as an example, and I, I'm it's going from really what I, I give a talk. I have been giving a talk through the years called the digital transformation from the whiteboard to the boardroom, and what I mean by that is there's great ideas out there, let's say it's ESG or things like that, that we can incorporate, incorporate it properly. And that needs to go from the whiteboard to the boardroom. And there's a distance, there's a distance between the whiteboard and the boardroom. And that's got to be uh, worked on. And that's what I've emphasized many times is when, when a 
in the digital transformation, there needs to be companies that also go from uh, their antiquated ways to more of the modern ways as far as data processing, data management, uh, metrics, and so forth, and having dashboards to work from and so forth. I see some companies still pushing back on that. And so ESG, yes, E is a strong point. S continually be worked on. G is being transformed. But I would say that if they're all being addressed under, for example, this one company that has on the website, they have addressed all three and pretty much summarize what you said. They're very strong on the E, uh, need to work some more on the S and the G. Uh, they believe they've got a good board that's working on. Uh, they have to be proud of their, the governance side. But. Yeah, last night I had kind of a, a, a different moment when I was going through some of the ESG, and we were trying to figure out the best way to approach this again, whether to bring back the ESG report, whether to you know make it kind of a humorous Mr. Rogers type scenario where you come in and take your shoes off and put on, you know what I mean? It's just, it, well, there's, it's, it's hard to figure out a way to approach it and even who your audience is going to be in today's day and age too, because it's very fragmented and segmented it out there. And, and with that, I just, I wrote down the, just the cold hard truth, which is, and what you just mentioned made me think of this is industry ain't going anywhere, but some of the people might be. And, and that really made me think long and hard about, you know, my intention going forward on a lot of these different things because, um, you know, this ESG movement's just starting. It's just starting. And people need to really understand that. It's just starting. So things that, you know, you might have put out there three, four years ago can come back and bite you tomorrow. And, right. and you've been in the media long enough to know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, sure. and, and with books, like special, oh, I couldn't even imagine with books. Holy smokes. I mean, I've only been a magazine writer and a newspaper writer. I couldn't imagine with, uh, you know, novels and books out there because, you know, you got to have footnotes and all kinds of different stuff. So uh, just what, what do you think about that comment I just made? Because that's a pretty controversial topic, what I just said. The demand is great for petrochemicals, and it's going to maintain that, as you said. But I, I would say there, there are so many that don't are not aware of that or don't want to be aware of it. I don't know how you want to say it. To the point that it impacts their daily life because there's so many that I talk to also that are ready to transition from oil and gas directly to, to clean energy, what they term clean energy in the future. And I'm going, wait a second. We, we've got to maintain. We've got to have this workforce. We, we're going to lose folks that are the experts uh, and, and we've got to be careful. Innovation technology is great, and I support it all the way. I've seen some great things happen in the oil fields, uh, as you have over the last 10 years, that have really uh, brought about some great uh, opportunities for our industry. And, uh, you know, the future of our artificial intelligence, robotics, on and on, are going to be there. But still, that, all that said does not take the place of the needed manpower and the knowledge base that we have, and we're losing it. And um, we, we, we don't want to lose it. So we, we need to go out there and, and uh, talk about people who have made a difference, the, the engineers, the geologists, the landmen, all those out in the field that work, all those that sacrifice their daily lives. It's, you know, it's a 24-7 operation, as you know, Jason. And a lot of folks think, well, you just turn the switch on or you go to get your tank filled. That's, you know, it's not a big deal. 
Well, think of it. If we talk about upstream, midstream, downstream, and all that, every avenue I'm talking about will have to be a, a, a report or evaluation on the ESG. And so those components, and you're, you're right, it's just now getting started because it's going to be uh, across the board very quickly. Uh, and even though it's just getting started, it's going to move pretty rapidly. And that hurts our, first of all, the investment dollars are there. But uh, if they don't have an ESG report, no, I'm not going to give. I'm not going to help the fund. But we need a lot of funding. <laughs> we need a lot of support. We need to maintain our industry. And um, I wish people were more aware of, of what uh, the sacrifice that all those in the industry are doing. Yes, we need to reach out to uh, more uh, besides the, uh, you know, as far as the social side, we need to definitely make sure we maintain a good uh, governance. Um, but uh, you're right. We're, we're, in a, we're in a pathway that's not looking bright if we're not careful. Well, what, what worries me is the stifling innovation, because if there's not an investment right now, and some of these young thought workers that are bringing in new ideas, whether it be recycled water or whether it be, you know, some sort of uh, solar, wind, electric, frack, hybrid, tribrid, um, you know, mining Bitcoin out there and, and that sort of thing. You know, I, I think it's a shame, you know, and whether, the, whether it's industry investing in these ideas or like I've said for a long time, just take 50% of the wind and solar subsidies that they've been getting for 30 years and not hitting the milestones that they put out. That's the part that people forget is that a lot of the terawatt of energy storage and the 45-minute charging stations, those were milestones that the electric ener- uh, uh, that the uh, uh, solar and wind energy, they put out on themselves and they didn't hit. And they got rewarded with more subsidies. In the meantime, you got these, these smart, clever capitalists sleeping out on well sites, checking monitors away from their families every night, trying to you know, gamble on the fact that the energy company is going to invest in their future. That's a tough, I, I, that's, that's tough. And it, if those types of uh, you know, smart, clever capitalists, if they go away, I worry about the industry too then because a lot of that innovation will go with it. No, and that's the concern that we both have. And, I, and think of also the opportunities that we have. Uh, let's look at LNG. And I know that's uh, something you're strongly supporting as well. But our industry has an opportunity, natural gas industry, to provide natural gas for the world, not just for ourselves. And with uh, 7, 8 billion people out there uh, that need our, our help that way, uh, I'm, I'm concerned that, that that industry in itself, uh, only a few years ago, was supposed to be the definitely the bridge to the future, and um, that's being kind of uh, not happening, I guess you'd say, in the way that it needs to. That, um, the focus needs to be, I think, right now on, on, on LNG in a big way, and I'm a big proponent of that, because we could definitely help countries like India and of course, we're already looking at Europe and uh, Asia and others, but uh, t- to help countries to get out of uh, poverty and to not always say that we can help somebody have a uh, you know electricity so they can turn a light on so they can read at night. Some young person doesn't have that right now. I'd 
you know, a lot of folks throughout the world don't have refrigerators. You know, they don't have the access. But here we can bring the power generation through natural gas, through LNG, to the world. And we can do it in a great way. We definitely work on uh, the uh, reducing methane emissions and and uh, and as far as carbon sequestration and so forth. And we need to work on that. But while wow, we've got some opportunities to, to really change the world in a good way, save the world in a good way, for, uh, for generations of people, young people especially. What do you make of the carbon tax? You, uh, you doing much with that these days? You know, we haven't. I haven't been addressed that much on it. It's really interesting. Of course, I'm in Oklahoma, so it's not really an, <laughs> an issue that's a cool value of speeches and talks and visit with people across the U.S., but it's not really being, uh, uh, being addressed much. Uh, what about you? Are you seeing it in your... Well, we're forcing it out of people. Um, you know, we're asking people uh, whenever we get somebody of, uh, you know, whether they're, you know, appointed leader or elected, elected leader in, in the field, we generally are, are asking them for their stance on a climate tax because uh, we do believe it's, it's one of the few things we've actually put a statement out on, like as a crude life, because normally we just kind of we're non-political we just want to allow experts to have a voice and a platform and that sort of thing. Uh, but the climate tax is one of those that we believe is going to directly impact the poor first, and it's going to trickle its way up, maybe, yeah. maybe to the elite at some point, but probably not at all. Because, in fact, a lot of times the way the new system works is that um, by the time it makes it its way up to you know, the rich, they actually profit off the tax because they, mm-hmm. they, they put so many uh, upcharges on the tax. So right. we, we put out a statement, and uh, DEPA was uh, the only other one that we found that was against the climate tax, too. And what we were surprised about was that there wasn't any of the uh, uh, state-run associations, whether it be Ohio or Oklahoma or North Dakota or Wyoming, that even put out a statement saying they were for it, they were against it, or... Interesting. We're going to kick the can down the road a month because, holy shit, what happened here? We were just fighting this for 20 years, and now we're okay with this? Like, just any sort of, like, surprise. So um, the bigger picture for me is this. I'm a little concerned when the biggest and probably most important tax on the planet is out there right now being endorsed by the American Petroleum Institute, and nobody is even having the conversation. That does concern me quite a bit. Um, what's your thoughts, I guess? Well, I, I like what I hear from your standpoint, and that it, we've got to address it. Um, from I, I, In my book, America Needs America's Energy, I did uh, talk about um, uh, that situation as far as Europe and so forth, and had the same uh, conclusion that you have, um, and addressed it really back even in uh, the breaking point to a certain degree, is that uh, we've got to uh, coordinate it. Uh, you know, being, like I said, from Oklahoma, it's, it's not being addressed because I th- we think we know where everybody stands, <laughs> that that won't happen from, uh, from, the, from especially the region that I'm in and as far as even Texas and so forth and o- Arkansas, all the states that I'm pretty much involved with the oil and gas industry, we don't think anything can happen with that from, from, the, from the support of the legislatures 
And of course, a lot of them are the red states that we're involved with. But if we're not careful, Jason, it could slip on, slip in. It sure could. Um, so that's where you you were ahead of the game. But wow, maybe well, you've, you've we need a lot to fire into all of us, and you're doing that. So we I need to get some more information for what you're doing and send it my way. I'd like to see more. Well, we're we're gonna probably do a. Uh a show where we just all the different people that we have on record with what their climate tax statement is. And that way we can kind of, you know, put it like a, a diners, drive-ins and dive show of all Italian cuisine. We're going to do it with, with climate tax. And, uh, well, cause you know, th- to it's me, that it's gotta be addressed. I get, I get where you're coming from. It's been, I've written about it. Nobody talks. About, I mean, even when I wrote the book, it's the last thing they want to talk about. They being the, the readers, uh, congressmen, you name it. Uh, it's it's there, and they go. Well, it's, it's that's Europe. And I said, no, it's here. We're not careful, you know. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I think a lot of it is too. It's it's more examples of of the industries becoming more reactive than proactive in certain areas, and and they need to readjust their intentions and their and their thoughts, you know. Um, and this is one area where I do think they need to get ahead of it, and. Um, almost to where if they get ahead of the climate tax, they'll be able to control the ESG movement through that. Because right. once the climate tax goes through, that's that's the ultimate tax to control right. control every part of your life. At that point, yeah. they can tell me when I can use my toaster, and I'm not even being crazy. That's actually the way it works in some countries. Well, it's already heading that way for lights for a while, wasn't it? So yes, you're right. In some you're states, right. in some states, yeah. they do have that, don't they? In some counties, in yeah, some states, yeah, yeah they, sure. they do. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, just kind of you know looking at the uh, time here and looking at my notes and wrapping up and seeing if I've got everything that I've pretty much. You mentioned the digital trans transition. Um, you, what, what what was the uh, term you used? Uh, the digital transformation from the whiteboard to the boardroom. Okay. Was the topic. That I gave for actually, I was speaking in 2018. I spoke to, uh, at the Pipeline Association meeting uh, talking about pipelines, and this was in uh, Tulsa. Uh, and I found that there were so many that had not really didn't feel like there was a disconnect. I guess you'd say between the whiteboard, the the those that are having the ideas to the board itself, there was a disconnect. And I found this. I gave talks in Tulsa and before the uh, Petroleum Data Management Association in Houston at their annual convention and up in Denver or different places I go, I find that people would come up to me and say, uh, we're in the industry, we, we want to support our, our board and our company, but there's a disconnect. And over and over again, I heard that. So uh, I, I think it's what we've talked about today. We've got to communicate with each other. We've got to be better at that. But then we need to communicate to the public and let people know not only what we stand for, but tell about ourselves tell how it's helped you know our kids or our you know friends of our kids or whatever um get through school or have a future or some that are already back in the industry following their parents career as well so if we go out and tell our story and and be advocates for the industry i think that's so vital and uh so i encourage you know that everyone uh, look at it from the, that standpoint, and and I tell people that they're idle right now and they're they're don't have a lot of work going on. And I will say educate, don't stop. Now's the time to fine tune your skills. 
learn more. Don't don't sit around waiting for a phone call when you can also uh, increase your skills. Uh, it's like what you're doing, being proactive, Jason. Uh, I, I like what you're talking about on the climate tax. I like what I'm hearing on these ESG, uh, and I agree with you. We've got to be more proactive instead of assuming being reactive, assuming that it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's going to go away. It's, and it's, it, the longer we think that's going to happen, it doesn't go away. It, it builds up and builds up because we're not communicating. Well, not only that, but then then you have a instance where the people that were just denying and calling you crazy and and you know making your life miserable are now the people that are going to educate you on it. Right. <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay. Right. Well, it it creates a little bit of a, a difficult relationship, is what I'm saying. And mm-hmm. so when when that's happening too, uh, that that makes it hard. It makes it very hard for. Um, for the communication to happen because now it's a reaction on a reaction. Um, in fact, there, there was just an article today that uh, talked about that in the guardian about Scotty Pippen because Scotty Pippen is going through all this, like just poison and anger he's got towards Michael Jordan and all this other stuff. And so, they're talking about, you know, when the, when the guy who hates, hates. And so how, this, how you know, the, the two wrongs are really not making it right for anybody type of a thing. So um, anyway, uh, how can, hey, uh, I was going to mention the digital transformation. Um, you know, we were, we, we, one of our th- second or third story, I forget, was, was the title was, this is not an oil boom, it's a technology boom. And was that, yeah, it's driven by oil, but so much of the uh, uh, future and, and dollars and startups and everything are going to be technology-based. No question. And you mentioned you, you were speaking about this as well several years ago. So how can people uh, give you some business nowadays, you know, hire you up and get you out to do some speaking and buy your sure. book? And, I mean, uh, right now you're on the cover of Oil Man magazine, right? Yes, yes. It just came out, um, the digital, I think the our topic's coming out soon. I, uh, MarkStansbury.com is a website, M-A-R-K-S-T-A-N-S-B-E-R-R-Y.com. Um, my emphasis, Jason, is, is uh, in my, my uh, stage in life is I'm really pushing uh, to assist in regard to an energy, being an energy advisor, uh, corporate uh, development strategist. And that means really more of the C-suite where I can come in uh, help those that are trying to get from the uh, the communication from the whiteboard to the boardroom to help on their data uh, management and their metrics and trying to build a, their dashboards and trying to become, uh, you know, the communication level, uh, the strategic level is really what my emphasis is. And so uh, advising companies and corporate leaders how to uh, meet the challenges and build their pathway to their future. So that's that's my goal. Um, I give talks, yes, um, and National Association of Royalty Owners annual conventions coming up. I'll be speaking there uh, next week. I'll be speaking. It's it's called the Presidential Leadership Institute. It's high school students from across the U.S. Uh, arrive at York College up in York, Nebraska, to um, to uh, be you know be talking about energy and some other issues. Um, and so it's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to give out these talks. I have a blog, just start a podcast, national energy talk and, uh, either go, you know, Apple or go on the and you'll see how to, to, uh, 
you know, as far as get the podcast there. So I appreciate you giving me this opportunity, Jason. Uh, it's been wonderful. I appreciate all you're doing. Your leadership is great. I've been a fan uh, of yours uh, through the years. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to be a contributor of a magazine. And we finally uh, actually get to uh, campaign together on what we really love. And that's our energy industry, oil and gas industry. Well, it's time to put the booze down Find us some solid ground Clean this damn life up And turn it all around We got lost in the smoke and drink We can feel each other starting to sing It was time to get back to our Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life Morning Show Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by Chewy Paws. All natural elk, deer, moose, and caribou antler chews for dogs. USA sourced premium quality and no preservatives. They love what we do in oil and gas and all profits go to the dogs. That's Chewy Paws. Check out their website, ChewyPaws.com. That's Chewy Paws with a Z.com. The Crude Life with host Jason Spees. My name is Jason Spees and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Frankie Osborne with Nighthawk Completion services. Jessica's Chemicals and Mixed Plant. I'm with a great company. It's like another family. Mm-hmm. I don't even think some of my sales guys know that, so whenever they figure out that I've only been in here for two years, I'm wolfing their butt. We will tell no one. <laughs> um, but as far as getting in, man, it was tough. You've got to be knowledgeable. You have to study up on it. To be honest with you, I feel like Hainsville Shell, which is East Texas, Louisiana, is way more tough mm-hmm. than here. Here it's more fun. You have more fun whenever you get clients to get work oh, here. Interesting. Over there, it's it's hard work, and you have to be prim and proper. You can't walk up with a beer and make a contact. Oh, no. What really got me noticed in the oil field is that I had a guy that showed up and got sick, and we were tripping pop with a laydown machine. I said, son, you show me how to trip pop, and I'll do it. Sure enough, I worked a 12-hour shift tripping pop, and the original company man would not hardly talk to me. I would take my tickets, and he'd say, I'll look it over, give me 30 minutes, come back, and I'll sign it. I mean, he was terrible to all women. Didn't think that they belonged in the oil field. But after that daggum day that I tripped pop for 12 hours, I went to go pick up a ticket. I said, was anything wrong? He said, no, but sit your ass down. Uh-oh. I said, hey, I'm PEC certified. I can get on that forklift. I got it all. I said, I didn't do anything illegal. And I'm sitting here going, God bless. I'm about to lose this account. He said, no, tell me about yourself. I'm flipping impressed. And there it went. I- 
To listen to the full-length interview with Frankie Osborne with Nighthawk Completion Services or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. We also would like to thank the voice of West Texas, Chris Moore, for conducting the interview for The Crude Life. That's the voice of West Texas, Chris Moore, as a special Crude Life correspondent. For more information or to check out our social media links, go to thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking each and every one of you to remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out the industrial forest. Forest.com. That's the industrialforest.com. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com. Said I was two years old when John Lennon died. And I was 23 when George said goodbye. Next go, I think it's Paul, I say And then there'll be only Ringo to play Well, Gandhi says an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind And I was two years old when John Lennon died Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com.